The Red 78. The most important thing was the intensity and the mentality to go after the game. As a coach, why did he only give away nine penalties this week? Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You're very welcome along. It is OTB AM. Uh, Colm is here. Colm, good morning to you. How are you? Sir, Shane, hello. Shane is also here. Good morning, lads. How are things? Uh, we're just watching the cricket. Uh, that's why I'm not looking at you there. Sorry, watching the cricket. Uh, Ireland were do- doing great. Uh, I think we were like 79 for one or something. Uh, particularly good early on and then a like late collapse where I think five wickets went in 17 balls and we were all out for 158. And you're like, well, not great in T20. Hundred fifty eight for against England. We're playing England and you know, they're good. We're like they're obviously our colonial overlords when it comes to um all of these colonial sports. And so we would we would expect to take a, a whooping, but um just taking a wicket off the in the first over, I think. So England are one run for one wicket. Uh, stranger things have happened. Mm-hmm. Only only once. Um and that was the full one day, so I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Reading in the years, lads. Could happen. Yeah. Yeah, we'll watch the moment, like 2007 all over again. It's a good achievement to to have beaten the West Indies in Scotland at least. Um, Um, Yeah, obviously I'd like to beat the English as well, I mean, in any sport. More than anything. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, hopefully they can do it over over the next little while. It was, yeah, Phil Egan was full of optimism at one stage in the office and then sport comes at you quickly, lads. 10-15 minute period where I just uh, went apart a little bit. Yeah, it all unravelled. But uh, yeah, look, I mean... Uh, it was 2007 It's a long time ago Wasn't it Yeah it's Pakistan I remember it well Yeah And it's just out of the blue And it's like Oh my god it Could be going to cricket here This would be amazing This is really stick it It's really stick it to them This would be incredible Another sport and here we are 15 years on yeah. Could be happening again <laughs> That's what I'm thinking right now I'm looking at the determination In the last faces here You never know Like this could age terribly What uh, What needs to happen For cricket to get a bit more mainstream uh, like personalities. Well, I, here's the thing, right? You you talk to people involved in cricket, and they're like, "Well, we've done all this work. We've got development squads. We're we're our outreach programs are really good. We have an excellent facility now. It took a long time to kind of get that, but that is now bedded into. It's somewhere for them to go uh, on an annual basis. England come over, and send good players, and um, but yeah, for crossover appeal, so that your mates are talking to you about it in the pub, which is really what I'm talking about here. It takes it takes characters like Snooker had Ronnie O'Sullivan um, or a rivalry. Formula One had rivalries over the years. Like sports that are maybe more on the periphery now, maybe they have a bigger interest field in Ireland than than uh, cricket. But yeah, I think it needs it needs part. Like when do we hear from these these cricketers? You know, you never get the the sit down interviews. You never get the well, they're always available and they always have interesting stories. Mm. You know, but we just don't we don't really hear from them as often as maybe we should have. Um, maybe that there, there is an element of that on the media as well um, that we could cover it a bit more strongly. But yeah, it, it's one of those sports that seems to be very very strong within the pale and then outside the pale tends to be less. Yeah, well, there's two ways. Like, there's two ways. Like, in the media, in terms of uh, eyeballs on it and earballs, it's like you do need big characters. Like you said, you need a larger-than-life character who uh, doesn't necessarily actually talk about the 
the rules of cricket so much in terms of what the Fenia gives you. Well, I suppose I'm thinking Freddie about like a Freddie Fintoff yeah. like character, right? And then you probably what you realistically need is a um, commentary viral moment or in studio viral debate, yeah. which uh, gets the masses going. So if you get something like kind of an outrageous argument that's happening on air, then suddenly people are starting watching what they're talking about. You probably need something like that in terms of eyeballs, in terms of playing. That, that only ever happens about stuff that everybody feels strongly about one way or another. Like it happens about Gaelic football and you can forget about Sean Cavan as a man or puke football. Like, But their standout moments in <clears throat> over the course of a decade, we haven't had one of those in a long time in Gaelic football, really. Like, uh, And everybody knows the currency in the language of Gaelic football. People will have strong views on whether or not the game should be defensive, whether or not it's on specific rules. And on football, it happens every week on VAR because everybody can look at it and go, well, I have an opinion on that. And there's no rule that actually confirms in my mind my bias is correct or incorrect. Sometimes you need something juicy as well, like the, that, the England-Australia ball tampering stuff in... What was it? Twenty eighteen was was juicy. Like, yeah, but for England, for an English and Australian audience, one hundred percent, of course. Yeah. And they they still remember that. Like maybe yeah. Ireland needs a, a cheat. cheating scandal, a cheat, or to be cheated on. Um, either one. Uh, but are yeah. a superstar coming through who breaks through the mould is really exciting to watch them play. Like we'll, it, it, we'll it, end up just like being plucked by England, right? That'll, that's what'll happen. Well, you, need a, you probably need a collection of stars coming through. I would same say time, big maybe, time, one hundred percent. You need someone to like pull a Kevin Cabana and go. I'm not going to play for England. No thanks. <laughs> and you probably need like a Michael Sheen type Welsh rallying call of someone to to come on and talk about just how great the sport is and how interesting it is to watch in terms of media in terms of accessibility then and people playing it's like you need to make it front and centre in people's minds when they're growing up to play cricket that it's actually a great sport to play in yeah. I remember playing it a good bit when I was in Australia and it's some laugh like and you just wouldn't think about it here now there's a big following here but it's just yeah. way more minor there's also speaking of Freddie Flintoff he did a documentary over the summer uh, he went back to Preston to try and get cricket going again because it's completely fallen off the right. face of the earth in Preston and when he was growing up that his cricket club was kind of the centre of the community is where people gathered mm. and he, his skills were developed as a cricket player he didn't come from a privileged background he was just uh, very talented and his skills were honed because nowadays there's the participation rates have fallen right off in Northern England yeah. and he's kind of made it his business to, to get it back going and get young people interested in the sport but it's difficult because I, like you just compare it to football football it's just the easiest sport to take up because all you need is the ball yeah. or, or something that resembles a football and that's it whereas cricket there's there's gear to come to it it's a complex game in comparison to football and to try and keep young people's interest in it is a big thing I think you have to grow up in it so how do you combat that you have to make it more interesting to the wider masses yeah and the shorter matches as well in cricket certainly appeal to the younger audience people's attention spans don't have the capacity to especially young people uh, not to put all young people in the same bracket but you know you don't, you don't want to be following a game over days and days and days and then there's weather delays and there's yeah, but on the way even here in Melbourne today but uh, you need, it needs to happen quickly uh, but not, not to dilute the sport for the purest either yeah but it being short I don't know if it being short will actually solve it it's like uh, on sale in a shop when you're not looking for strawberries but they're on sale it's like well it's great that they're on sale but I wasn't looking for it in the first yeah, place you still buy them if they're nice yeah but if you just make they're a game fans, you obviously it, buy the strawberries if, <laughs> if you just make a game short uh, that's not going to solve the interest level problem it's less to be interesting uh, they've, got to, they've got to manage those two things out. but they, they're actually different sports in a way like the yeah. one day stuff yeah, is totally different from and, I, the, and, and they attract different fans and I think that like Actually, it might work having multiple different products or variations of the product again on different platforms. We'll see. And we're going to talk about that with um, Keith Wood a little bit later on. The outrageous notion of going to 12 aside in rugby uh, is something that Keith wants to talk about today. Um, 
is it that outrageous, really, if you think about all the problems that the game is suffering from a financial perspective, from a health perspective, from the games being two hours long perspective? What if it was to have a side? Okay, I know it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You can actually send the angry text that you were about to send. It's about to happen. Hit send. Don't, don't stop hitting send. But then, you know, after you've hit sent and you calm down a little bit and you've, you're lying there spent with your great, great black <laughs> Actually, it's not that bad an idea. Well, is the pitch the same size? Yeah. So then the Speedy Gonzales, the Jason Robinsons of this world are going to absolutely love this. Well, it won't change the body shape of, yeah. of all the other big lads who are, like, crushing smaller human beings under their monstrous bulk. Yeah, it's true. Wouldn't, wouldn't that, like... Just uh, initially you think, no, no, I couldn't. And then you're like, actually, you know what, maybe... I assume Keith is against this idea. I, I don't think he's advocating one way or another. I think okay. he's, it's a, a thought experiment. The balloon is being released. How long will it take for the helium to come out of the balloon? We don't know. I feel like we're going through a period right now of... Shoot of, it down if you want. Yeah, every single sport trying to change itself and, and adapt to, to the modern audience. Every single major sport seems to be heading that direction now where it's like, oh, how do we... How do we keep up? How do we change? We get Florentino Perez on to talk about cricket. Yeah, Might have a few ideas. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, no doubt. Or Todd, Todd Bailey as well. And we're still waiting for him to release that uh, information that young people are tuning out of games that yeah. they are becoming too long. <laughs> but do I, actually like speaking of like people's idea of twelve side rugby? That sounds outrageous. Could work if you gave it a go. It's a bit like football too. With I think, <laughs> I think ninety minutes is too long. Personally, I would I would shave Seven, five. seventy minutes. Oh no, he just dropped yeah, it on anyone. That, oh geez, no, that was right in his hands. It was, yeah. Mm. Is that um, coming up here stuff? There's stuff. Oh. There's stuff yeah, there's it's stuff. Uh, slushing. Is it? Is it? Or is, is that someone's <clears throat> drink done? There is it. Right. There's a cloud on the way. I wasn't sure if it was rain or it was bugs. That's the one thing yeah, I could never be. tell you about. It's like Australia's full of bugs. Is it? A, and, is it a good day out, lads? Poisonous animals. Oh, it's Pretty amazing. Like went, to, went in Australia. It's incredible. <laughs> beers, right. yeah. It's uh, <laughs> no, it's brilliant. It is fantastic. But you're kind of, I'd say, forty percent watching Wicked. what's going on. Right. Wicked. No, this is getting interesting. Interesting. England are collapsing. Fourteen for two. Few Irish Target's shots. 158 and um, look at number 2 s live comments he's watching too Yeah, great to see uh, morning lads here's to beating England come on lads says Chris Kyle S says the eternal optimist and he thinks we have a chance here lads win predictor gives us a 35% chance of winning they're the first two comments and then the rest of the comments after that are all like oh cricket is ridiculous what are you doing and then giving out about oh Morgan joining England taking the soup is the phrase that's used by uh, Patrick McHugh which um, you know no. Have we not moved on? Like, what was he supposed to do? He's a professional, <clears throat> wants to play at the highest level, and then goes on to play at the very, very highest level. I say fair play. If the circumstances don't permit you to play for us at the very highest level, then you have to do that. Like, yeah. um, that's his job. It wasn't like it was a hobby that he was like, oh, I'm going to go on amateur, represent uh, England in the Olympics. It's like, no, this is my job. I need to make as much money as I possibly can out of it because that's my job to make money. Mm. I bet Declan Rice wish there was that reaction to him. Or that understanding. You know? <laughs> but Declan Rice wasn't going to make that much more money. Oh, he would have. Oh, my God. That's a massive reason. It's not. It's not. Ah, like commercially. The, uh, on, well, you say that. Mm-hmm. But uh, where's, where's your evidence for that? Did Roy Keane not make more money than anybody else at Manchester United? Ah, right. Yes, he's, he did. He's uh, well, I, I, on his island what? himself. Well, the Roy Keane island. from Dublin as well. So that's, there's a difference in the two lads as well. Well... What? Well, Rice didn't grow up in, in Ireland, I guess. Yeah, so it should get less abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah you would think so. Uh, Owen Whelan says, I was at Ireland West Indies in Nelson in 2015 when we won. It was great crack and some, it was great day and some crack. Few beers and winning Irish team. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's actually a good summary of the feeling towards cricket. It's great. Oh, it's brilliant when we win. Underdog tag and all that. Yeah. Have your day out. 
and then resume your uh, other interests. John Claffey says, it. not if you had Messi bowling to Ronaldo would you make cricket interesting, which is not true. That's the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to go to one of the tests, one of the Ashes tests next year. That's, my, that's on one of my um, sporting bucket list. No, I just got press ganged into it by my mates who were, <laughs> who were going. I was like, all right. It, uh, they have nice picnics. Right. You pre-order yeah. your picnic. So you're about the cheese and the wine and, as Im- opposed to Imagine that. what will what be in that picnic. Cheese and I'm already right. like... Okay. All right, that was all... It, they described what it was like. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> I already have to deal with this on a Friday. Listen to Adrian talk about cheese You can go over and back in the same day as well. Right, so right. That's also... On the ferry? Yeah, exactly, on the ferry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with all the Man United and Liverpool fans. Of course, yeah, yeah. That's the worst trip. <laughs> the fade ferry, of football. The ferry... Mm. To the match and the, the ferry on the way back. I have some stories about that. The two and a half, three hour delay at one train station somewhere in, in Wales where you're not quite sure where you are and you're listening to the Liverpool fans singing and the Man United fans. Neville Neville is a red, is a red, is a red, he hates Gazers. Gary Neville is a red, is a red, is a red, he hates Gazers. Yeah. Phil Neville is a red, is a red, he hates Gazers. <laughs> non stop again and again and again and again. And the Liverpool fans are just as bad and you're like, oh my yeah. God. It's, um, I, remember, I remember going to a, a game when I was younger, <clears throat> Inter Milan, I think, in the Champions League or AC Milan, and, and like we straight onto the ball. From Old Trafford after the match, and you, you drive the grim nighttime drive at 10 and 11 o'clock at night to to Hollyhead, and then you get on the ferry, and the water's choppy, and you've had your, your few beers, and literally it's just you can f- feel it and hear it moshing around in your stomach, and you're trying your best not to get sick. Um, and I remember having to get sick a couple of times overboard, and overboard, well, yeah, but people are trying to because. There, there are people in rooms and, and you're trying to lie asleep I remember trying to lie asleep on the corridor with a couple of my mates and it's just like never again I love getting the ferry over it's no, good slow, fun the slow ferry on the way back yeah the, the early one oh, it's pathetic they still have the fast ferry I, I don't actually know but, um, uh, lads can you explain in GA terms what in God's name is going on in the cricket asks Tommy Tommy these 14 for ones mean nothing to 99% of us so we scored 158 runs with our uh innings England have to beat that 158 runs uh, they've got 15 runs and they've lost 2 wickets when you lose 10 wickets you're out so we need another 8 wickets to beat them um, but that's you know that's a very simple explanation so that's yeah, one of the things that would put my mates off as well is we'd be sitting in the pub and, and if the cricket came on and one of the lads was really into the cricket and, and wanted to talk about it and the rest of the lads were like I don't get it I don't understand the rules well that's willful ignorance because it's not difficult yeah yeah 100% you, they, they try and make it as easy as possible we get to bat they get to bat yeah. <laughs> you've got to protect your wicket yeah, it's yeah. like it's the same as rounders you know don't get don't get struck out here yeah once Just you find out this the, thing. once you learn the rules for the first time the rest of it is, is, is simple and it's given us a 40% chance on the uh, the winning predictor here as well so it's kind of teasing you along still 60% for England obviously but I mean you're telling me there's a chance there's a chance yeah what's the win predictor what, what, who said what was it 35 a little bit earlier should have gone it's, up it's now to 40 alright it was a moment ago there so um, if Owen Morgan played ice hockey for Canada he'd be a national hero but he played cricket for England their national sport so he isn't we are a strange country sometimes says David Bosang that's understandable though isn't it I mean, we don't have a significant rivalry or a massive history with Canada which I suppose no. we do with England maybe we should just get over a little bit of that like ultimately uh, we sent loads of people over to England they've, they've taken loads of Irish people and given them jobs in the past you know I know it's a two way street I get it but like you know the vast majority of people had, had quite good experiences about that and um, I think we're probably pretty grateful for the yeah. release valve they, they certainly our politicians were very happy to send our young people over to England to get jobs and send money back yeah uh, that 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 war has turned obviously but um, that that's an interesting Michael McCarthy yesterday was tweeting about the fact that um, uh, how the response is going to be from Irish people when the 
um, product lists gets published for GA Go and what GA Go is going to look like uh, you know, the, on a price per game basis you might end up paying more than you would have for Sky or it might be quite similar mm. or, it'll, or they'll come up with a package for the whole summer next year that'll be much cheaper um, but it will be very interesting to see exactly what happens when GA Go are your provider for the Saturday evening games yeah I mean I understand how, for like you know, say Carlo are playing Longford or whatever and fans can't get to those games I understand that they can provide that service and allow those fans to watch those matches but and I've used I've used GA Go it's a, it's a good service and uh, look people I think like to give out about Sky because it's English I'm like oh why are we showing it's American. a national game it's actually American well, yeah, now, sorry, but you know they, they, and it was never really English because before that it was Australian but yeah, we like <laughs> to think of it as English in our heads for some reason um, but yeah there are gaps in that in, in the new broadcast deal announced um I know they've, they've said there's a highlight show as well for during the week. I don't know what day of the week. Is, is that a midweek show? The second show? one, they haven't announced the, uh, the specific details, but right. they're, they've, I suppose they've listened to the calls there because at a Sunday game was an incredibly frustrating watch. Yeah. I, 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 you, you know, I record it and watch it back on Monday, but I try my best to watch it live on the Sunday night ahead of Monday morning because it's a great show to watch. In the, on paper, it's brilliant. Then it starts and then you're like, Jesus, this is going on for two hours. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, how am I going to stay up and watch this? Like half 11 finish on a Sunday night. Who's watching this? Like, who's able to stay up and watch this? Fair play to you if you can. Yeah. But then it's just, I always found, how can I put it? It, it was some about fast and slow. So they got through a rake of games, but it, the, the monotony of the pace of it. So they'd show the highlights. And if you watch the full game yourself and watch the highlights, it's you know taken out of context in the sense that, mm. of course, highlights are not going to give you any, any, totally an exhaustive idea of what's going on. But key plays and switch momentum is missed in the package that they were showing yeah. and then I think that they did this they had this obsession of making montages so they'd show a montage after a game and it would go back to Des who would say oh and just to, to let us relive Dublin Kerry again and they'd show a three minute montage that someone did up which is fine yeah. but then that breaks momentum then they go back to the studio then they start analysing it and then it's about ten minutes on that general conversation or we go to an ad back after this now that pace like I feel sorry for them trying to get everything in but that is not good for the watcher people, and, and yeah 100% agree and, and people get parochial about about their own county not getting shown enough which I understand um, but they also get parochial I remember watching like so many times uh, watching Sunday game and you know you'd have Conor McManus being called Kieran McManus and everyone in Monaghan would be up in arms Finn and Kelly would kick a point and the commentator would say on the commentary there's Drew Wiley with a lovely score for Monaghan and everyone in Monaghan would be screaming the telly going that's not fucking dr-. like but it's so common and I'm sure other counties have, have those experiences as well but that's a basic thing that's just that's just researching well I, I don't know look um, I, I don't know if there's any other highlights package in the world of sport that has is as problematic to be uh, complimentary to all concerned in GEA it's so difficult on a given weekend there's so many games I, on I, I mean like really what match of the day I, I thought nailed sorry, it I yeah. thought they've nailed it so, I really think. you know it's, there are loads of examples all around the world where there's loads of games on and uh, the highlights packages manages to actually capture the spirit of what happens in the game as opposed to you know sometimes a game will be completely one-sided one team will score a great score but it'll be their only score and you'll see that score and you'll be like oh it's 10-1 but we've just seen three scores and it yeah. looked like it was 2-1 you know I I don't know. I just, um, I think for me, the main thing is that there's now a lack of competition. I'm excited to see what um, BBC are going to do. I, I said yesterday in the show, big fan of the, their presenter, big fan of their attitude and approach to it. 
it better be on HD like the games are now unwatchable we've, we've all become accustomed to top quality um, broadcast stuff I really hope that BBC Northern Ireland have invested in the HD stuff because when you're flicking over and you're like oh Jesus I have to have to go back much but I, so um, there is, I was, is there the HD stuff up the border I, I feel like I have the BBC channels in HD yeah but maybe BBC it's Northern Ireland uh, I think so yeah no you would I would yeah I would as well yeah. and they're showing both finals like yeah. so maybe that's, that, that's maybe what that's I'd be doing yeah. we pick up what um, I'm watching on Sky Right, yeah, so we, the, we have the digital channels, we get the we get BBC on, on those as well. All right, okay, okay, okay. Uh, okay well, hopefully the Sky platform carries the um, BBC Northern Ireland. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I do think that their pundits are like, they have tended to be people who are more heavily involved in the game mm. still, uh, either current players, current managers. But Marty Clark's a brilliant commentator. He's one of the he's one of the best out there, I think, in terms of Gaelic games. Um yeah, and, and those names like you need. You, I just the competition is a fantastic thing, but I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's been thought through properly. I, I don't. I don't. I hope BBC get proper games. I don't think there'll be a focus fully on Ulster football either. I think the nature of it now and the amount of games there's going to be, they're going to have to branch out, um, which isn't a bad thing. But there's going to be so many games to cover. It's the. It's the highlights that I'm, I'm nearly most worried about. Well, the, the, the other thing that was kind of buried in the middle of it is uh, enhanced digital. Um, so live, you're going to get loads of stuff, mm. or at least they will have the right to give us loads of stuff live. So maybe the experience is going to be completely different. Everybody's going to be watching on their phones anyway. Yeah, and the lads, I heard um, uh, Mick Foley talking with Joe the other night about it and kind of talking about you know if we could have the All Ireland Finals on BBC General Station and Gary Lineker could present <coughs> the thing. Again, it seems to be uh, unclear, but there was a suggestion that one of the finals will end up being on one of the. Mm. Um, BBC channels right so you'd have to see on BBC 2 <clears throat> and like Saturday Sunday afternoon yeah um, I do I, I would. I disagree a bit that you were saying that other sports can cover they manage to cover all the highlights extensively I, see the problem with GA is that the, the footage the quality of footage it actually decreases as the show goes on because in some games you literally have one camera person on the side of the field and it's not a good viewing experience because it looks very amateur yeah. so why would you why would you dedicate 20 minutes of the show to a match like that where you're almost embarrassed by the quality of the footage and that's no individual person's fault yeah. that's, the, that's the facilities in the show like so why, why would you shine a light on a match that looks like your buddy's recorded it yeah so I understand why they focus on the games at like HQ or whatever and then they breeze over the rest but if you're like Sunday game from like January to well like January to April now it, like it's impossible to get it completely right I have I have sympathy but what I think they could massively improve on is the pace of it they could definitely focus on other things that they are the montages need to go they need to show more of the match and less of the talking like an old Brian Clough saying but it's true in order to get everything done because you feel very unfulfilled watching it and it feels like a waste of time I should be in bed instead of watching this and that's problematic presumably the highlights will go up uh, as soon as the game is over on YouTube like they do in every other world sport like you know as soon as the game is over on Sky you can watch Premier League highlights in three and I thought that would kill Match of the Day and it didn't no, because Match of the Day gives you something else yeah the punditry well the Match of the Day gives you the conversations yes so you Sky, still want the conversations yeah but they, Match of the Day have extended highlights Sky Sports show you three minutes of the actual key footage which yeah. is what the Sunday game is doing now but they have no Match of the Day alternative so that's all you're left with so you're unfulfilled alright yeah yeah give us your thoughts uh, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number uh, still to come Keith Wood we're going to speak with Christina Desmond in just a second Keith Wood at 10 past 8 talking rugby sports pages at half eight. 
Uh, Tommy Rooney is going to pick the All-Stars, who he wants and who he thinks at mm. 8.50. Denise O'Sullivan, uh, Ireland superstar, uh, live and in glorious Technicolor all the way from North Carolina. And then some Stuart Lancaster goodness. He was in studio with Joe last night in a very interesting, wide-ranging interview about how the process actually came together for him to be the new Racing manager. Now, uh, I will just do some quick comments on this. Loads of um, thought coming in. Everybody thinks about... Um, TV coverage, it's one of those things that you start talking about everybody has an opinion on. It's kind of like the whole point I was making about the cricket. People don't have an opinion on it because they <laughs> haven't seen enough of it. Yeah. Connor Joyce says, RT will definitely just bring back the committee room or something like that with Marty Morrissey for half an hour on a Wednesday at 8pm. They definitely won't. No. That's not going to happen. Um, uh, do, do, do. Well, they're waking for Ireland. Let's keep it going, lads. That's 29 good. for 3. Wow. The Sunday game analysis was fluffy at best and had a lot brushed over. I've been to games and then seen it analysed in a totally different way, missing out some important moments, says Powell 74. I think that's because, you know, like you need to have people who are at the game talk about what they saw or somebody who's focused on that game and then they come in and they say it and then you can broaden the conversation out generally. But How would you do that over two hours? Well, 20 odd games because they have they have endless resources like uh, Brink's truck gets backed up to RT every year and the money from the country into pours studio. into it you don't have to you move them in and out like it's like you're, you're a producer you can think this through I, no, the, the resources of getting 40 people to come into can you imagine Jojo sitting don't need 40 people why do you need 40 enough, enough. if you're showing 20 games you need two analysts they don't have 20 games there aren't 20 games and they're, they're, they don't focus on 20 games and that's not what they're doing so you've, you've, that's a straw man and and it would be pretty easy to start thinking about these problems in it. Like, okay, we're going to block this down. Here's the hurling. We want people who are at the games. You come back and you do that bit. And yeah, then if great. there's going to be a general conversation afterwards about the trends in the game, fine. But you, maybe you don't even need that. Is, like, there, is there an element of broadcasters being afraid to invest in the GA? Like we know from from off the ball ourselves, like the the number numbers wise on say YouTube or podcasts and stuff. Generally speaking, rugby is sky high all the time, no matter what, no matter what time of year. Um, soccer is probably next, yeah. and GAs. Probably distance off it. Um, like I wonder, like RT and these other broadcasters are they? They're probably fully aware of that fact. So is there a, a, an element of you know in terms of cameras at grounds and, and properly pumping money into coverage that they're afraid to nearly do that and because it's the return isn't there financially because the interest maybe isn't as as, as wide ranging as others. I think there's two generations trying to cover it. So you have the older yeah. generation want to talk about the game, which is great, and then you have the younger generation who are frustrated by the product. Yeah, and those yeah. those they're going to constantly clash. Yeah. We've got to move on. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line by Cork's own Christina Desmond, freshman silver medal win at the European Boxing Championships in Montenegro. Christina, how are you? Good morning. Great, how are you? Good. We've got you just on your way to work, I think. Uh, no, I actually, well, I am going to work in about an hour or two, but I finished this morning at about four o'clock, so Jeez. I'm fairly tired now. I've only a few hours sleep in me, but... I'll be fine. <laughs> well, listen, thanks very much for uh, for getting up to do this for us. Um, you're a guard, you. so there was no rest for the wicked, straight back into it. Um, yeah, I um, got called on to the team last minute, so I didn't really want to be messing around with anyone else's annual leave. So um, once I got it, I just took the bare minimum, didn't expect to be coming home with a medal. So, um, yeah, I couldn't really be um, saying I didn't want to come in then after winning a medal. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I was actually really happy just to go back in and do it because... Um, you know, I've, t- I've taken enough leave. So, uh, but no, there was a great buzz going back. So, um, uh, it, it, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> uh, well, let's pull back to the start of that conversation there, that bit where you were like, I uh, got called up pretty late. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was the story with the late call up and, um, and how did you find out? Yeah, so um, I actually um, have been on the high performance team since I was 16 or 17, off and on. Um, 
but I, I went away and got a, a degree and came back and then I got um, I went for the guards and I got the guards and uh, so I've been just off and on the team with, with a long while and uh, so I last May I um, didn't get picked for the world championships so I went back to work full time and I, I wasn't uh, doing as much training as I should have been or I wasn't going to Dublin training and um, they were on to me all summer to come back to train and to, to keep competitive and all that and, and I wasn't really in the mind frame really to be honest my father was sick and um, we had a lot to do between work and trying to travel home to him so um, middle of September I got a call would I be interested in coming on the team as there was a space after coming up um, the girl at my weight Lisa O'Rourke was after getting injured so um, they asked me was I fit and I, I was after been training and I had had my own fight, my club a club fight in England, so I wasn't too bad. So um, yeah, I was working night shift about nine o'clock, and they called me, and I was in um, two days later after finishing seven o'clock in the morning. I went up and sparred at three or four o'clock, and I got told, right, you're coming on the team if you if you can come. So uh, there was a quick couple of days there where I just didn't have much time to think, only uh, get my gear ready and get a, get a bit of time off and go. So um, it was. All, all over the place but uh, it was an opportunity um, in my opinion so I just grabbed it and went uh, That's mad like it, when you think yeah. about it you go to European Championships and, and come home with a medal without what you would say is textbook preparation and yet maybe you know maybe you were ready for this and, and maybe you didn't need to have uh, the pressure or whatever it was maybe there was a freedom involved in like okay well here's, here's a really big opportunity for me I'm just going to go and grab it I actually think that's what it was. Um, there was a lot of heartbreak during the year. I felt I was hard done by in a lot of things, but uh, I, I kind of, you know, there was part of me like, should I do it? Why should I do it? You know, I couldn't make make an awful fool of myself going out there. You know, it's boxing. You can't just get in the ring and, and you know, I, I don't, I'm not disrespectful to it. You have to be ready to get in the ring. You're on your own um, in there. And you're, I, I'm against elite athletes. You know, they're all training full time. They're all funded um, my my teammates, most of them are fu- funded as well, funded good money, and um, you know you're getting in the ring with world champions, European champions, Olympic champions, and you don't know who you're going to draw. So um, yeah, there was part of me very nervous, but uh, there was part of me as well, like you know why not? I I'm, I wanted to get back into it. So I, I missed it. You know, it's, it's hard to train when you don't have something to train for. So I I just took it took it by by the. <laughs> straight away and I just I just went for it but I actually felt great I felt strong I actually I've never felt as strong in my life or you know as fit I just put the head down and trained hard and I got I got far more than what I expected It's funny uh, Tina because like I remember you talking about your disappointment at not getting to Tokyo and, and I think your, your words at that point in time where everything happens for a reason but clearly it's come around the other way now and this has happened for a reason Yeah like I do believe there's like, and I was training hard for, for the Olympics and well I was trying to still juggle juggle the job um, and training at the time as I had only just started but um, for me I, I needed to get a career um, I'm very independent and headstrong so uh, I had to get a career and I got it and you know now it's it's all kind of falling into place so um, I'm, I'm happy that I did that uh, you know sport is such such a uh, up and down there's so many things can happen no one really understands um, how hard it is at elite level um, you know even my own family don't understand we, we were actually all laughing last week you know if our families and friends knew what we go through in competition they'd uh, they'd be checking us in somewhere I'd say because it's absolutely crazy you know uh, the, the the mind games and what, what the mind can do but um, 
yeah, no, it's it's look, everything does happen for a reason. I fully believe that. And uh, so yeah, some, something happened last week, and I, I not have to take it all in yet. But um, yeah, I'm, ha- I'm very happy. Can you go back a bit where you, so you were involved in um, the uh, elite? Uh, camps and training kind of basically since you were a, a late teenager when did you make the decision that you did want to go off and also have a twin track career because so many athletes decide that you want to be entirely an athlete and you've got to give everything to it and actually the rest of the world can wait but frequently we find that in retrospect people get their best results when they have the security and also the outside interest of something else in, in your case it was your degree and, and now subsequently it's like a really hard grueling uh, important day job as a guard uh, I, I, I definitely feel like there's a lesson there to be learned for a lot of people like not just to be one thing and put all your eggs in the basket of being an athlete while at the same time uh, not paying attention to the rest of your person and your individual Yeah um, well to be fair we, we would always be driven to, to do our best by our, our parents so my parents at home so I, I kind of had to I wanted to and to be fair, my father wanted me to do the full time role after a while. You know, he seen he seen the potential in me. And he he asked me, you know, the guards will be there in time, uh, the degree will be there in time. Just you can do the training, and I, I'll I'll back you a hundred percent. You know, he was he was willing to do that, but I just wanted, you know, I don't want to be down the line after um, a fight going the wrong way, and I you know I have to retire with no money, no backing, no you know, savings, you know, so that's all what I was thinking, you know, when I was twenty twenty one I thought I was you know, nearing retirement age. I, I needed to get my life on the road and I needed to get going. So um that was what the pressure was for me and uh, you know, full time athlete is very, very hard. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot to it. People think it's just simple training, but I actually can't stay still. I have to be doing something all the time and um I give out that I'm too busy but uh, I enjoy it. I absolutely love doing what I do, and I love showing other young boys and girls, especially girls, that you know you can do what you like, and you can do a man's job. In my opinion, the guards is a man's job, and in my opinion, boxing is is a man's sport. So um, I'm a bit like that, as I said, independent. I need to be different. So uh, yeah, that's probably the driving factor. Those those driving factors, Tina, as well, like when you're living out of a bag between I guess Waterford and Cork and then the High Performance Centre in Dublin over the years um, and then you come back in say to Dublin Airport um, you know a few days ago and then you're down at national schools and, and handing your medal around, medal around to, to young kids that must make all those moments of toil and sweat and, and torture worth it yeah like it really is uh, for me it was my family in the airport uh, they came up from Cork for me so uh, my partner my partner was supposed to collect me, Jenny. He he was coming up, and I I told him to stay at home because I didn't want to come in from Cork. But when I seen him, it was all worth it. So it was. <laughs> it, like, it, when you were younger, was 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 boxing always? I know you you would have probably played other sports as well in Gaelic football, and, and you have a twin brother who plays uh, Gaelic as well. Was it his influence? Did you kind of follow talk tag along with your with your twin to boxing when you were younger, or how did it all begin? Uh, yeah, that's how it started. Um, Michael, my twin, yeah, he's. Uh, we're best friends, so we're uh, he whatever he did, I had to do, and I had to do it better. So uh, that that was it. He started for fitness for the GA, and uh, I followed, and I begged and begged, and said, "Please, please, can I box?" And um, it was my father's first cousin, John Desmond. He was like, "Not a chance. No women boxing. That's it. You're not to boxing." And eventually, I got in. And I, the first year I boxed, I won an Irish title, and 
it just went from there. I feel like that was only yesterday, to be honest with you, because um, it's it's flown since uh, that was what twenty or sorry twenty twelve years ago or so. Um, and I've been on the Irish team since I was sixteen. So he gave up boxing then for football, and I gave up Gaelic football for boxing. I, I played for Cork underage um, for a few years, and that and my own club coach Tom Power just kind of said, you know, it's two different fitnesses. You have to kind of take on board what are you going to do are you going to box for Ireland are you going to play football for Cork and Cork ladies football was going so well at the time you know I was like I can do both and he was like Tina no like the injuries are too much you know, I was getting bad injuries from the football so I just took on the boxing and uh, I went back to football now and then and went back to Nyam and got got a few chances at, at Cork again but um, no I, I had to take a full time role in the boxing and, and you know what it has paid off but he was right um, it it was worth taking it on but I've joined the club since I joined the club over COVID the Ricky Rangers here in, just outside Dungarvan just for the, the fun of it and I, I absolutely love that because it's, it's a bit of a break from the boxing and it's um, a social aspect of it um, sometimes in the elite level you don't really have the, as much fun or um, it's not as laxy-daisy or easy going in but um, you have to have the fun side as well really 100% you're from the Gael Talk is that right? yeah that's it yeah uh, Kilimartra and um, most Greek Gael took so it is right well I mean TG Carr have obviously massively ramped up their coverage of boxing yeah, I'm sure they're always looking for uh, Gael Gores who can do a bit of boxing analysis so there's a career in the media for you as a sideline uh, side hustle whenever you're finished what's next like does this change your plans for the future now that this whole thing has happened over the last couple of months? Um, I haven't clue to be honest. Um, I, I got out of the ring on Saturday and and we went for food. And uh, Kelly Harrington was my roommate. We spent about two hours trying to pack our bags, and we had a quick hour sleep before we got on the on the the bus to come home. We had a long day travel Sunday, and I've been working since. So, um, I've been asked that a few times, and to be honest, I've no idea. We've national championships in January. Um, I have to drop weight. Um. Uh, to get into Olympic weight now they're after changing the Olympic weights um, to 66 or 75 and I'm too small in height for the 75 so um, I'll have to try and drop weight and I'll just see I, I, I have no idea it's wide open at the moment um, for now I'm back to work uh, back to reality I got about five minutes praise and uh, it was back to, to the slagging and the mocking and uh, that's the way I like it I don't really like to be made a big deal of I, I believe I'm normal and doing do normal things so uh, for now I'll see but uh, yeah I'd, I will probably have to keep it going I suppose I can't really give it up now <laughs> I suppose a lot of people were delighted for you Tina as well like I was reading up from your, your uh, exploits in Sofia in 2016 at, at the Europeans um, where you picked up a bronze but you really weren't happy with the bronze medal given the nature of of uh, the semi-final defeat um, like I know you, you called it I think contentious at the time you were quite clearly the, the, the better fighter according to a lot of the pundits who watched the, the fight so I know that was that must have been a frustrating thing for you at the time and, and probably did it lead to you being exasperated with boxing for, for months after that or, or was it just something you accepted and, and look uh, told yourself look at least I have a, a European medal yeah look these things happen it happens in every sport and boxing does have a bit of it um, it's after getting better somewhat but um, yeah it probably did. I can't really remember what it what I felt like. I did after the fight, but you know, you get just get back into training, you shake it off. Um, we're we're both in there at the end of the day, and and you know, some people can see different things. So I won't hold it against anyone. Um, I I will take any bronze medal or silver medal or gold medal. Uh, you're gonna you know that that I can. So um, I won't say no to it at all. 
I'm not ashamed of it anyway. You, you mentioned the fact, uh, Tina, that you, that you did your degree, of course, before you, you went to Templemore. Um, like, and I know your, your, your mum passed away when you were in, in, in leaving third year as well. And, and it's like, I mean, you're trying to balance that between, you know, thinking about Youth Olympics and, and CAO choices and all the, the stresses that year as well. So like, do you think back to that time as, as, as something that, you know, almost a pat on the back that you were able to get through that, those difficult times? Because I'm sure she'd be, she'd be very proud of you after what you're after achieving in the last week or two. Uh, yeah, to be honest, it was it. We we just had to put our head down as a family. We drove on, and uh, I didn't even know I had. I went to Turles. I did strength conditioning in Turles and in Satanta College, and I actually just didn't even know I had that course on my CEO. My sister must have put it on. My other sister Louise, she must have put that on it because I hadn't a clue. And I was in the Olympics when I got got the choice and all, but um, we we didn't really have a choice you know our dad, our dad was very good Christor he's excellent um, and he's been, been a great driving force for us all we're all qualified well Rachel, Rachel nearly qualified she's doing business in Limerick so uh, you know he, he always was, was that kind of way and he'd always help us at whatever we'd be doing so um, I, I don't remember it being that hard you know it was just normal for us we just went on with it and we have a great background great family great friends great neighbours um, so yeah she, she surely is proud hopefully uh, I'm a bit different, all right. <laughs> that's all. That's all. If she can say anything, she raised a, a different girl, a, a very, very different girl. <laughs> Any parent would be proud of that. It's an incredible achievement. Uh, you said you're just a normal person doing normal things. It's not quite normal going to European Championships without like a year's preparation and coming home with silver. It's a, it's a really remarkable story. Congratulations and thanks a million for joining us. We let you get a no bit worries. of sleep before you get back on the afternoon shift. Thanks yeah, a million. Yeah, could I, could I just thank my work colleagues? Of course, yeah. They've all been working for me over the past couple of weeks and they've had not been able to take days off here and there. So um, I'd like to thank them all at all ranks um, they, they, and their, their support has been incredible. And thanks to everyone. I can't believe the support. My little parish has been massive in the surrounding areas and uh, it's been um, it's been huge to see support come in from all over the world. And uh, thank you all. You said your, your colleagues were backslagging you. That's because they're very proud of you as well. I've no doubt that they were more than happy to um, put their uh, shoulder to the wheel because it is an, it's a great reflection on them and on your community and on where you come from as well. Like it, these things, you know, you pick up the medal, but you, you do represent everybody as well, and you've done it so brilliantly, Tina. Thanks a million for joining us. No problem. Thanks a million. It's uh, Christina Desmond there, a medalist, silver medalist at the European Championships in Montenegro and part of the boxing team. We wish her all the very best. Uh, it's 11 minutes past eight this morning. We're brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effort to shave. Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Just to let you know, it's on in the cricket. Ireland are beating England at the moment. The run rate that England need to achieve to win against Ireland, they're not currently achieving it. Now, that's not to say that somebody's not going to come to the crease and hit a bunch of sixes uh, over the next while, but uh, lots of moody shots of the England selectors and uh, the England captain and the England players, and that's what you want to see. England are 50 for three. Their target is 158, but their run rate at the moment is um, six, and it needs to be nine point something. So uh, things are looking pretty good for Ireland at the moment. Yeah, a lot of pensive looking English English heads, pensive Irish heads as well. But there's a little bit more. They're in it. They're, there they're in it. We we didn't think at 158 it was going to be too hard for England to get there, but. Uh, at the moment, it looks like they're, they're struggling. You know, so what more can you ask? Right. Uh, during the hour break, you're going to hear from Kathleen McNamee, Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan on the latest episode of the Koi Gig Pod, reacting to Ireland's World Cup group draw. The Koi Gig Pod on OTV Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We're back after this with Keith Wood. OTB. 
AM. Right, time for us to turn our attention to rugby. I'm delighted to welcome Keith Wood back to the show. Keith, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, Jerry. I'm Grace. Thank you. Um, we, we've been having a, a few offline chats about the strength of the game, the rude health or otherwise of uh, rugby generally at the moment, and particularly in light of what's going on with the English clubs going to the wall and then the constant noise about uh, player health and player welfare. Um, there's the historic stuff of the players who are now suing the organisations, but there's also the week-in, week-out toll that the game is taking at the moment on its current players in terms of serious injuries and concussions, etc. And um, So we're going to have a little ramble through those topics and, and um, some of the laws and, and the speed at which it, the length of time that it's taken for the games to get through. So I don't know, I talked a little bit earlier on about um, the, the kite being flown of maybe having a conversation starter about the game going to... 12 aside, and that this was something that we should at least tease out and have a conversation about. So maybe that's a good place to start? Yeah, I kind of, it was funny. It's 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 an existential sort of conversation, and yes, I think we can have a, a little bit of fun with it, if that makes sense as well. I mean, I don't know that we need to be too serious on it, um, but it's trying to have a look that if there was an alternate universe almost, and you were having the game, what would the game look like? And um, I kept kind of picking holes in in the things that I worried about. That's I think that's where a lot of the conversation came from, which, you know, we've been kind of nattering on this for a while. But um, some of the laws of the game are hard for fans to view or there's enough grey in it that it makes it very difficult and everybody gets kind of angry or energised with it. Um, some of the finances of the game seem to be accelerating towards an end, which isn't great. And some of the injuries make it incredibly hard to watch. So if you were, you can't have a game that has three or four concussions every time. Um, like that just can't, that can't be allowed to go on. So it's how then do you kind of reimagine the game? I think that's kind of a way of looking at it. And like that 12 aside, I mean, I spoke to a couple of guys um, that would be much closer to the professional game um, and they were they were looking at it and saying, look, 12 aside could be something that would work. And I remember when I first heard that idea of that 12 aside competition, it was last year, the year before, I really disliked it because it was another another format, another way of playing the game. Um, but if it was the only way of playing the game, if it was instead of 15s, what sort of an impact would that have on the game? Well, the players would end up being fitter because they'd have to be because there's more ground to cover. You probably lose two wing forwards. So the scrums may take a little bit less time to to um, to set. The lineups would be far um, less complicated. You'd only have five in the lineout. Um, the, you'd probably lose a centre. And so defensively, I don't know that you could necessarily have that rugby league type of defense because I think you have to cover more players in the field because so it might go back to a more side on defense and definitely far less two man tackles, which is one of the issues that we have. So I think there's merit in it. I think there's merit in having a conversation on that. It also has a knock on impact in terms of the size of playing squads get smaller and so therefore slightly more affordable. Yeah, I mean, look, all these things would have a knock-on. I mean, like, we talk a little bit about the game in England and people would wonder, why are we talking about it? Well, whatever happens over there has an impact over here because it has an impact in terms of the European competition, but also in terms of viability of the sport in general. So, 
they do have an impact. And as it stands at the moment, so much of the game in everywhere actually is unsustainable. So you can see it with South Africa playing um, uh, New Zealand in England before the World Cup. That is a, that's an income generator. I mean, yes, it's a good match for them to play as, as prep, but it is a income generator because all the all the teams are, you know, not all of them, but the vast majority have a shortfall in cash. So it's gone to this place of being relatively financially unstable. And is it? I was trying to figure out what CVC's plan for all of this was because they've been very quiet over the last um, period of time. But they've invested huge money into the game. They they invest the money into the game because they obviously have the vision that they can make a lot of money out of the game. Um, and how is that happening if the, all the teams are losing money? Well, that doesn't seem to kind of ring true. So it almost looks as if you're waiting for a few teams to fall by the wayside and you're then left with a, uh, a system that can generate enough of funds to break even at worst and then maybe try and make money as well. So... I mean, the long-term view of the game is that that would happen, but um, I think it makes it very hard when, uh, when the when so many teams, actually, some of the teams are going out of business almost. Yeah, well, I mean, at the start of COVID, we did a series called State of the Union, where we spoke to people from yeah. all around the world, <clears throat> all different backgrounds, um, uh, about what we thought might happen. But at that stage, it was like this game is kind of struggling a little bit on a couple of different fronts, and what's happened is that. Um, the, the tide went out and you get to see who's swimming naked in that um, famous David McWilliams analogy uh, and it turned out like the, the premiership which was supposed to be this global powerhouse that was going to take over the game and all the best players were going to come and play there it's not sustainable at the moment and that's why conversations like 12 aside which in the past would have been ah no that's, that's a joke we can't even what's the point in talking about that you know now all of a sudden you have to start thinking about how this game is going to be sustainable if it's going to be sustainable yeah, I, look, there's three things for it to be sustainable. We have to reduce the amount of injuries. That, that can't be the case. Um, we have to put a bit more space in the field because we need it needs to be more exciting, you know, and if everything is incredibly tight and packed with players, that's where a lot of the collisions, the additional collisions are going to come from. Um, we have to make the laws a little bit easier and there has to be some bit of viability in it. I mean, I just, I had a quick look just at some of the prices of, of tickets. The, the best price ticket in Harlequins for the next game against Gloucester is £70. That's €80. Euro. That's an expensive ticket. You know, um, the most expensive ticket in, in Thoman Park, I think, is €45. Euro. So that's it's a, it's a lot more value over here. <clears throat> but it's scarcity value in, in Harlequins. It's packed all the time at the moment. So it can be viable. Whether willing or whether people are willing to pay that amount of money for it all the time makes it uh, makes it another issue. Why why now, Keith? Do you think uh, I guess the the wasps and, and Worcester situations uh, bring it into the, the the forefront a little bit more? But like we've seen it in cricket, for example, with the hundred series, and, and and sports are always trying to find ways of of coming up with new ideas and get new fans on board and keep the current fans they have. So uh, is now a, a turning point? Are we at a, a sliding doors moment for rugby where where it needs to be now to to, to kind of make some changes? Yeah, I, look, I don't know, and, and like I'm looking for changes to try and cover a whole variety of different things. That's what that's where I'd be looking. So the idea of reducing injuries um, and especially concussions, but injuries in general. We look at all the teams at the present moment in time: England, Ireland, 
Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht, you know, the 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 injury amounts that are there on large squads, squads of 50, 50 people with maybe 25 or 30 percent injured. That's 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 a very tough place to be. Um, but I'm, I'm not looking for an other um, it's not me looking for it, but, you know, I don't think the game needs to have another format, but it may need to change its existing format somewhat because it has to be more sustainable. And, um, uh, you know, having another one means more matches, more things. That's not what's needed. And that's actually where we've 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 almost looked like we were going, which was let's bring in a, a, a 12s as an add-on to the existing uh, sevens and fifteens, I don't I don't agree with that as it stands. Um, but I look, I, I want to be able to watch a game at the weekend and have it to be incredibly intense and fantastic and fun. And you'd still want to make certain that all the players walk off at the end of it. And that's not happening at the moment. So that kind of, I, for me, that's one of the main um, uh, leading signs to some level of change. It is a quick update in the cricket. There were two successive balls where uh, an English player humped it up in the air and an Irish player dropped it. And it was like, oh my God, uh, head in your hands territory. And then the next ball after that, Harry Brook humped it up in the air and this time it wasn't dropped. This time Ireland have caught it. So England are 67 for four. They're chasing a target of 158 and uh, the win percentage of Ireland has, I think, tipped over 50% for the first time. So uh, it's looking good for Ireland against England in the T20 at the moment. Um, and, uh, look, cricket is a bit of a mess, actually. It's not a, not a bad analogy where there are some fans of this sport, there are some fans of the one-day 50 over, and then there are some fans of the test sport, and nobody's quite sure what they're looking at when they're looking at it. So rugby can look at other sports and go, we just need to get this right, because it's very quickly easy for us to slip off the radar of TV companies, audiences, parents who want their kids to feel safe and parents who want to feel safe watching their kids play the sport too like it's a it's a complicated ecosystem that rugby is operating in at the moment it is but when you look at the existing forms 15s which is traditional and um look i'm a huge fan of 15s and sevens which is far it's far easier to play. It's it's very exciting, but doesn't have the uh, the, the full reach of the other one. But it's a much easier g- game to play. I think it's the the best entry into fifteens is from sevens, and that's for people who don't play. It's something that is hard, physical, but there's an awful lot of space. Um, and uh, like when I look at cricket, you know, I used to watch cricket when I was when I was younger, but um, when it went off TV. Um, onto onto satellite TV, it lost a huge a huge amount of supporters. And when you have a, a global element and the um, the subcontinent element in terms of cricket, that is a huge driver, and that's been a colossal driver for for the T Twenty um, um, for something that's infinitely more exciting. And that is the market that under which it's based on. We look at where Rugby Fifteens is based on. Um, it's how can we make that a little bit safer, more financially viable? Is there a change that could be made there? Or is that something that could be the death knell for us? So we don't know. It's like I said it at the start. It's why not throw out the, these ideas? Why not have a, a sense of curiosity as to instead of just presuming that this is perfect and we can't move away from it? Now, you could say we make it's, we'd be making it more into rugby league, but I don't think it would 
have to necessarily be. And if the scrum continues to be as important as we all believe it should be in the game, well, then it won't ever get towards rugby league. And the lineouts uh, are another very large mark of difference. But you can't make the pitches bigger. You know, you're not going to change any of the stadia. So is there anything pragmatic about reducing the numbers down somewhat? Yeah, definitely worth it. Yeah, definitely worth doing the research on it and seeing if if that is something that has a significant knock-on impact on the number of concussions. Um, you know, instinctively you would say, yeah, let's get some data behind that and um, and trial it. Definitely worth it as a thought experiment. The other issue in all this, of course, is how watchable the game is in its current um, mode. Some teams eminently watchable, where the balls in play the whole time. You know, there was a, a brilliant um, URC game where uh, two teams who were intent on trying to score scored a couple of weeks ago um, when uh, Leinster played at the RDS. And then sometimes you watch international rugby, like the Lions-South Africa games, where it's two hours and it feels like it's about five hours. Uh, this is also a significant, I would say, barrier to entry for new fans coming in. It's like, well, why, why did the referee make that decision when there were 15 other things going on at the same time that he could have made a decision on? Is the simplification of the laws something that's worth discussing? Well, I, look, I do think so. I think there should be um, the, the laws have to be made easier for fans to to understand, but they also have to be easier for the ref to ref. You know, it's it's uh, like we see difficulties all the time and conversations going around the referees all the time. And um, like, I mean, there are a few outliers to elements of that, but the the way it the way it was, and it sounds like an old man thing to say, so I qualify for that, but. The idea of uh, respecting the referee, well, that's been eroded an awful lot because there's an awful lot of people shouting at the referee. And I think if you suddenly tidied that part up, that would make it infinitely easier so you don't have guys um, looking for decisions. The only person who should talk to the referee is the captain and the captain should, uh, they should treat each other with respect. And that has just been eroded ever so slightly. Now, um, but I would speed up everything. Um, 30 seconds. I know they started looking at these, uh, but 30 seconds for scrums, lineouts, kicks. That's about the full extent of time that you have there with it. Um, uh, you know, like some of the laws have been changed for safety reasons. They have been have made the game, I don't know whether they've made it safer, but they've definitely got rid of an awful lot of guys being tipped in the air. There's a lot of high headshots are being so seriously um, um, uh, penalised now that it is going to have an impact over a period of time. But the players, that takes time. And all these things take a little bit of time. So I, I do think the game is changing. I do think some of the things they've done are uh, are exactly what was needed. And I just wonder whether more is needed at this stage because... Um, like I keep looking at every single squad that comes out at the present moment of time, the injury list seems to be getting longer and longer and longer. Um, the, the the level of complication, they keep talking about comparatives with soccer. Soccer is unbelievably simple to play and to watch and to understand whether it's a free or it's offside or not. It's pretty, it's pretty easy. Rugby is not easy. Would you expect, Keith, any pushback whatsoever from, say, the rugby purist to any changes to the to the natural game and the the game as we know it? Or is it a case of people just get used to change over time and, and it, it would become accepted 
slowly but surely. Yeah, well, I don't know. And, I, and again, we're spitballing here. So we're trying to figure out what do, what do we think could make the game better. Mm-hmm. I think it brings it back in many ways to the purest because you might bring it back to a proper clean strike in the scrum. And that seems to annoy everybody that the ball doesn't come, go in fully straight. Um, but uh, I think it brings it back to more space and the purest, uh, you know, the days in the past didn't mean that the game was better, but it meant there was more space and you could see more almost individual skill at different times. But like, I think, Ger, you mentioned it a, a while ago. Some of the games that we've watched over the last few weeks have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, and But we're in the first, we're in the second month of the season and now we're looking at huge injury lists all over the place. So, are we going to see those level of games all the time? What if there was a little bit more space? Yeah. So I don't know whether the purists would be upset by that, actually. Yeah, I think that uh, if if a proper piece of work is done before any changes happen, then you should be able to get buy-in from most stakeholders, particularly if you're making the case that this sport is unsustainable as it currently stands. And like, let's wait and see what the payouts are or what settlements are reached with the former players who have suffered. And then... You have to build that into your future plans. And are we making enough money to pay that into the future? Or are we actually deciding that we're not going to pay that in the future because we're going to make the sports safer? You know, you're not, you're not going to eliminate all risk and you're not going to prevent people oh. from saying, uh, you know, I, I need more money for what happened to me during my time. That, that's always going to be part of all major contact sports. But if you at least take all the steps you possibly can to limit your exposure, then that makes sense too. So, um, all right. Was there anything else on that on that bit that have we have we talked we've talked about the laws, um, the financial situation? I, I mean, something else has to happen in the meantime before any major change to the game going to twelve aside, because uh, the precariousness of the English clubs is very interesting to watch the knock on impact that's going to have on the rest of the game. Well, it is, and it depends on how many more are are under pressure. I mean, when you look through some of their accounts. Um, they have lost a lot of money over the last few years. How sustainable those elements are. There was uh, the uh, one of the newspapers had a comment that uh, one of the WASP players who'd been on 400,000 was now being offered a contract that was only 60,000. And then they were saying that this was derisory. Well, that's an interesting line coming from a company that uh, supposedly is 112 million in debt. Um, you know, you have to have a look and see what. Um, what is the viability at the end? Like I think whoever offered him that money, I think they may have been guessing that they can get a really good player at that level, but their salary cap is already spent. So the responsibility is for them to, to, to make certain that they can balance their books at the end of the year. And so a lot of the balancing of the books that's happened in England has been, and a little bit in Ireland too, by the way, has been from, um, sugar daddies uh, uh, in in the UK coming in, or in some of the Irish systems where they they look for um, for people to make donations in to try and, and bolster up the finances to cover different things and to to be able to bring other players in. Like that's very hard to be sustainable when it's reliant. It's not reliant on how much money you're making on income, and if your income doesn't cover all your expenditures, that's not really a good business. So. As a business, it makes it very, very difficult. And you're looking at, at the finances saying, um, is it going to get to a case where you end up with eight or nine or 10 clubs in, in, in England and that can be financially viable? 
but that it isn't if there's 12, 13 or 14. And it could be that case. It's getting to the stage where a lot of the conversations that we had at the start of COVID are now becoming more urgent. I guess that's the way with like everything, right? Uh, you know, certainly you think about the, the world burning and uh, everything's getting urgent. Like, do you feel from your conversations with people in rugby that there's a coalescing of views where something needs to be done quickly, otherwise the situation can get out of hand? Um, I think there's a high level of frustration with the risk that they're dealing with all over the place. Um, and I think if you forget about the business just for a moment and and we talk about the players, like there was uh, Wasps made 167 people redundant two weeks ago. Um, Worcester, the same. You know, that's there are people who have mortgages, who have families, who have, you know, everything. And that, like that, that has happened. So we're seeing we're seeing it being that stark for people. And I think there's a human component to that that seems to get bypassed at different times. Um, I think there is an, an urge for people, you, you know, for the vast majority of the teams in the UK, they are they're topped up by um, by by a, um, by an owner at the end of every year. And they're OK with that. They seem to be comfortable with that as an idea. Um but it's the risk items that are coming in now, partly on the back of COVID. Actually, that there's some of the t- some of the clubs have taken on additional additional debt because um, because of the situation. We've been fortunate in Ireland because we got grants rather than loans, and so um, so it's not as precarious. But it is still always precarious because you're trying to work in a uh, in a marketplace that spreads across Europe for the most part for Irish players. So if other players are, or other places are willing to pay more, do we have to pay more? So that always puts pressure on at different times. Whether there'll become a readjustment now and that the, the prices and the, the, the values that are being paid to the players will go down to make it sustainable, well, that might cause another problem and another issue because players might say, well, I don't want to play at that level. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah, it's a conundrum. Um, we didn't talk about any of the, the current stuff at the weekend. Um, Munster are getting a lot of plaudits. Uh, Gordon Darcy saying, you know, it's going to be a long, slow road, but the, the bricks, the road they're going on is at least the right road. What, what instinctively did you feel after the game about where Munster are after the defeat to Leinster at the weekend? Um, I thought Munster hung on um, by their fingertips for a, a large part of the first half. Um, I thought they had a chance a couple of times that they may have gone on to win the game um, uh, and they didn't. So I would be disappointed with the fact that they lost the game. But I was what I was happy about was um, with a diminished team and Munster don't have the strength in depth that Leinster have the the effort was there, which was fine. You expect that all the time, but we didn't see that at different times. So I looked at it in light of the Munster-Leinster games of the last three or four years, and I actually, I just thought Munster played and tried to play. And without some of the, the quality that they would need in the backs, um, but they played, they had a cut, they defended incredibly well, their scramble defence was excellent, um, and it looked there was a, an awful lot more offloads and tip-on passes and they looked as if they were, you know, the, the line I used a couple of years ago was that every time, we, you know, Munster played Leinster, they didn't fire a shot. Well, they fired it off of shots. Um, they'd like to fire it a few more, 
great to see youth getting a chance. I would agree with Gordon Darcy. It's going to take a period of time and patience for that to pay dividends. And they are struggling with um, with an injury list now at the moment. So it could be one step forward, two steps back. Um, Munster will still be annoyed they lost the game. And I was disappointed they lost the game. But I did see steps in the right direction. Um, now, there are steps that will have to be accelerated as, as quickly as they possibly can. But um, there was a move away from some of the rugby we've seen over the last number of years. So you actually do feel um, hopeful then about that, that, okay, so we're not getting carried away, still a defeat. The scramble defence was good, but actually there's green shoots here of of a style of play, a philosophy underpinning that style of play. The players look to be enjoying that style of play. And even though it was a weakened side, they were performing at a level that looks like a team with a plan. Yeah, I, I felt that was the case, actually. I mean, when you looked at the centre pairings against each other, um, um, you knew Monster were going to suffer somewhat. Uh, Ringrose and Henshaw were excellent and have been excellent um, um, all season. And well, for the last number of years, um, Galgan and Scannell are not at that level and uh, don't have the handling ability. And I, I'm sure they're, they're going to be working on it because I don't think they were used for that for the last period of time. So it's trying to, to get Mikey Prendergast to... to to give these guys the confidence to try the pass, to, to, to make those things happen because you play with the players that you have and you have to be able to perform. But I thought they were heavily outmatched and yet defensively I thought they did well. Ball in hand, not as slick as you'd like it to be at all. And so they're the things that, look, there was calls for a long time for a more expansive play, uh, a game that was almost a bit more natural for, for the Munster guys. Mikey Prendergast has come in to do that. That can't happen overnight. That has to happen over a period of time. Keith, can I just ask you on the uh, the um, Finn Russell situation over in Scotland? Um, and it's a bit of a, a bizarre one. Um, out of the Scotland squad, I know Stuart Hogg was removed as captain as well. Gregor Townsend making some uh, some power moves. Uh, I don't want to compare it to the, the Ten Hag-Ronaldo situation at uh, Manchester United at the minute. But, I mean, it would be a shame to not see Finn Russell at a World Cup next year given his talent and he's only what I think he's maybe 29 or 30 years of age and if it's about you know his, his performances I think he had 18 points and 3 assists uh, for Racing against Montpellier last weekend so it's not like he's playing badly but um, strange but uh, certainly will be a disappointing thing not to see a player of his talent at the World Cup Yeah I mean I, I, look, I don't know anything behind the, the scenes of that I would know that Gregor's view having played with him um, and I know him pretty well his view is he wants Scotland to be winning. So he wants the team to be in a position that will actually consistently play well, get better all the time and win. So um, whether he is doing this to try and get a reaction from Finn, um, to try and get him back to, to be really, really hungry and wanting to get it, you know, back into the Scottish team, um, you never know because you never know what the what the story is behind behind that. Mm. Um, I know there was issues uh, with over Discord last year and the year before. Um, is this a way for for him to say, look, nobody is is sacrosanct and everybody has to has to be part of the team to do it? I, I don't know, but I mean, it's we would say in looking from the outside to say, my God, he's such a talent, um, um, and maybe he might be difficult to manage. But um, is this part of that plan to try and manage so that we do see him in the World Cup? I, 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 again, I don't know. 
um, it's hard to to be able to see players of that quality and not have them in the squad. So um, I think it's one of those interesting things, but I'm kind of more interested in looking at the Irish stuff than I am mm-hmm. in the Scottish stuff because we know we, we have to deal with them. Um, in many respects, would that make them more dangerous against us? I don't know. Keith, good stuff. Thanks so many for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, gents. That's uh, Keith Wood giving us some uh, thoughts. A wide-ranging conversation there. If you've got a view, we'd love to hear from you. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. It's getting very hairy in the cricket, right? Uh, England dropped another wicket, but Moeen Ali has come in and smashed three fours and a six uh, in, I'd say, the last eight or nine balls, which has brought England right back into it. They were really, really struggling. Um, so there's a, a stat there that England are five runs behind the par score at the moment uh, which means that they're very close to winning this it's going to go at this stage to the last ball you would expect unless Ali comes in and starts smashing it the way he has been for the last over it's like he might he may well do he, he broke a, a thousand runs in um, in this last ten minutes or so in uh, in career I don't know if it's, if it's specifically T20 or if it's one day but uh, what the weather? What's going on? Covering up a bit of rain. Those uh, those clouds that were coming seem to have arrived. What does this mean? I don't know. <laughs> the Irish. I think the Irish are trying to work out what it means. Yeah, it was Barry McCarthy with that fifth wicket. Uh, his sister Louise plays for the Irish women's cricket team as well. But yeah, since that fifth wicket, it's kind of as you said, gone the way gone the way of England a little bit. We were getting excited. It's it, passion. It's absolutely passion. They stopped you to rain. Yeah. Right, eight forty-four this morning. Players must stop you to rain. Uh, Lewis Duck, where it obviously is a five-day thing. What happens in the T Twenty? Do we just win? I'd say we just win. We uh, blow it up, ref. Yeah, it's blow over. it up, blow it up, call it over. We'll find out exactly what happens. We'll uh, we'll do a quick bit of research for you. Regatta Great Outdoors are launching their new Freddie Flintoff collection this autumn. And to celebrate, we have a hundred euro Regatta voucher to give away every day, and one lucky winner will get a five hundred euro voucher to be with a chance of winning. Like and retweet our Regatta Great Outdoors social post today on our main Twitter page. It's at Off The Ball. And remember, shop the Freddie Flintoff collection in-store at Regatta Great Outdoors or online at regatta.ie. Carl Mulaney is with us, Carl. Good morning to you, how are you? Morning, lads. How's it going? The early cricket is pretty good. Oh, yeah. I've been glued to it all morning. Actually, it was raining. Uh, the game was supposed to start at five and they went out for the national anthems and they had to go back in after <laughs> the national anthems because it started raining. But Ireland have been brilliant with the ball. Um they started pretty well in their first 10 overs with the bat and then it kind of unravelled a little bit in the second half of their innings but uh, they've been excellent uh, with the ball so far but uh, like when I wrote my script to come over England were 93 for 5 after 14 and now they've moved up to 105 so in that uh, short space of time they've made a nice little jump yeah it was all Ali yeah. he, was, um, he was absolutely ripping Ireland apart there for about 4 minutes yeah um, but of course Ireland have form against England in some big games uh, back in the 2011 World Cup I saw they flashed some of the scores from that uh, that was 50 overs obviously but that was a very significant result for Ireland at the time and I think they beat them in a one day international a couple of years ago as well um, in Southampton possibly uh, so like this would be huge if they could get over the line and they've got um, Afghanistan to play I think on Friday Ireland who England beat uh, quite convincingly at the weekend so it would put them in a great position if they could cut this off but I don't want to jinx anything This is uh, called the Super 12 and the top two qualify for the semi-final so it's, uh, it's a really good format where you get loads of games and so there's already been one qualifying section this is like the next qualifying section and uh, Australia are also in this group so you would expect Australia and England to come through but see a couple of our commenters on YouTube saying if the game doesn't restart we win on run rate um, 
Come on, rain. Come on, Come rain. on rain. I'm trying to check the uh, the Google weather for <laughs> Melbourne right here. It's 19 yeah. degrees, cloudy. It's it's currently not saying it's raining at the minute. So, uh, uh, friend of the show, Daniel Harris, is doing the live blog on, on yeah. uh, The Guardian. He says, the umpires take the players off. We're surely going to lose time and overs. England are miles behind the rate. And might this settle the match, he's asking. The rain is caning down. So we want it to keep raining. We do. Oh, for once in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> he's gone full caps, Daniel Harris, as well. He's excited. It does look quite bad, the weather there now, doesn't it? which might bode well for Ireland. Uh, if we don't get back on, Ireland win, and they'll have an even better shot than they do now if we do play a shortened match. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, it's great though, isn't it? It's actually quite a very good format to watch. The, brilliant. The yeah. I have yeah. to say, like yeah. it is uh, someone that wouldn't be overly... Uh, it's all right, we're all allowed to like cricket, cricket now. We're, we're mature yeah, as a country. I mean. the, the women sing Ooh, up the rat, and we're like, hey, we actually like cricket. It's like... Uh, <laughs> yeah. The very uh, crucible of modernity in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Remember back in zero seven and twenty eleven, didn't they have two good World Cup campaigns, and that kind of brought it into the national consciousness a bit more definitely from my point of view. Anyway, I took a bit of notice from then on. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the Kevin O'Brien was that superstar, and um, so we just need a little bit more of that. And it looks like a couple of the the lads playing at the moment, the bowlers in particular, are quite young. There's like a twenty two year old bowler mm. who's quite experienced, um, who's doing quite well, has done quite well today. Now let's wait and see if. Uh, Moyne Ali rips them apart again but maybe he didn't get a chance there is that thing and people can say it's childish all they want but um, if, if Ireland people, some people watching this morning aren't into cricket whatsoever but because Ireland are beating England or close to beating England potentially well, the we're game. all getting on board <laughs> yeah well they invented the game I mean, come on it's it's like, it's great. if we're beating England that's it I think England's second in the world Ireland ranked 12th I think Ireland are the second lowest ranked team that's left in the competition So they can't restart in the next 11 minutes the game is over Oh, we just do a countdown and, and it's minutes. absolutely lashing there's not a hope in hell they're getting back out in the next 11 minutes the, start the white much. tarpaulin is on the uh, 8.56 so if by 8.56 if we're not back on Ireland are going to win Daniel Harris has been in touch with uh, Colm our producer who says he thinks Ireland are going to win Woohoo! oh lads Wow. So we had eighteen fifty six. So we're sitting here watching rain. It's the happiest we've ever been in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> this is the greatest sports event of the day. Yeah, yeah. watching the rain coming out. Come on, rain! <laughs> well, we're not used to live sport that we can enjoy on on AM. You know, sometimes you get the the tennis in the southern hemisphere and stuff as well. But um, yeah, it's one of those rare moments we can support Ireland yeah, in something. Just looking at the TV now, the faces on the English players—they're just looking up towards the sky and they're—they look pretty glum. Oh, I can't wait to be patronised by them afterwards. It's going to be great. Oh, yeah, they're all plucky. They'll enjoy their Guinness. Like, yes, we will. Yes, we will. And yes, we were plucky. Yes, it was great. Oh, look, finally ring. It's falling on us. Oh, and we like it. It's great. It is fantastic. First time in our lives. We've been delighted by the rain. Can we start calling them the plucky English? Oh, we just turn this around. You know, it's good, good for them to be underdogs. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really part of their character, the, the bulldog spirit. Les <laughs> oh. roast beef. Oh, there's the lovely Melbourne skyline in the background. It's too enjoyable. Why are there not more people at it? I thought that, you know. MCG. That's the MCG as well, one of the iconic grounds. Uh, the BBC reported that it's, I think, Ireland's first competitive game there. I'm open to yeah. correction on that. But I think England have a poor record in, in, in this format in the MCG as well. I think it's three defeats and no wins. So let's make it four. Uh, right. Now, a reminder OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Some of the Irish cricketers, they need another month for their mo to grow properly. But um, uh, anyway, let's talk about the open goal last night. Uh, I think we have a screenshot of this. So uh, this is Danilo Sikan. And uh, so we've got a screen grab up of it here. If, um, if anybody's not watching, he's about three yards outside the six-yard box. And all he's got to do is cushion the ball. The, I would say the pass is perfect. The cross-field ball 
like has taken out the goalkeeper and the final defender. There's no other person inside. He's onside because he's behind the ball. All he's got to do, and then I'll see the yeah. defender there. All he's got to do is like cushion it. But instead, he tries to control it, slash shoot, and then it shoom, scuttles and squirts. If Joe, if like you can, a greased shit <laughs> on the outside of the right post. If you could zoom in on uh, Joe Hart's face, there it would be one of on, of sheer fear and acceptance that the ball is about to be rolled into the net. And the, the pass from Mikhail Mudrik. Um, was well, it was firm, but I mean, it was one. Of, I mean, a professional footballer can control those passes, uh, and he was the best player uh, by a mile for Shakhtar. And <laughs> you could see his face afterwards. He was like, "What are you after doing? What, how did yeah. you miss?" Yeah, uh, I don't know where it ranks in terms of the, the worst misses of all time. It's certainly in the conversation, and it's probably the, one of the worst misses in Champions League history. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it. it did no good for Celtic anyway because they're still out of Europe but yeah and we could see that the, the Mudrik kid who's 21 um, been linked with Arsenal been linked with Roma in recent days as well very good he was Scored brilliant a great goal. Yeah. brilliant last night and his goal was fantastic so uh, yeah he won't be too happy with his with his teammate Sikhan uh, Sikhan will be sick this morning so the it. rain isn't as bad now the rain isn't as bad now there's four minutes left to save this don't be saying that Jeff. Jesus there you go uh, what else is going on sorry Carl well the uh, Champions League last night Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola admits his side have a problem uh, scoring penalties Riyad Mahrez failed to convert from the spot last night against Borussia Dortmund to finish goalless in their game in Group G but City guaranteed top spot in the group regardless of that result Chelsea secured their place in the knockout stage after a 2-1 win to, against Salzburg and Group E and Celtic as mentioned said to finish bottom of Group F after their 1-0 draw with Shakhtar Donetsk a point for Liverpool tonight away to Ajax will secure their place in the last 16 Group A's other game tonight sees Napoli look to maintain their 100% record with the visit of Rangers and Tottenham can cement their place at the top of Group D with a win over Sporting uh, here at home the first division playoffs get underway tonight runners up Waterford away to Treaty United Galway United travel to Longford Town both of those matches underway from 7.45 in the Women's Champions League this evening Chelsea look to make it back-to-back wins in Group A. Uh, Paul Green remains in temporary charge there for their meeting with the Albanian champions Vlasnia. Uh, in snooker today, Fergal O'Brien, Jordan Brown and Aaron Hill all in action at the English Open qualifiers. And in racing, there's a seven-race card at the Curra this afternoon, the first off there at five past one. The, the, the penalty situation in Man City is ridiculous. It's 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 gone beyond ridiculous, and Guardiola mentioned it last night. Well, is it not just Mares? No, well, City have missed they've missed twenty five penalties in all competitions yeah. since twenty sixteen. That's ten more than any other Premier League team. Yeah, Mares is Perez's his tenth career penalty miss, his third and four. Well, but he scored he scored his first nine out of ten. Yeah, so, so it's a recent thing for Mares. I don't really care about what uh, this season is. The only one that matters, right? And if Haaland had been there, Haaland would have scored. Yeah, well, he scored at the weekend, I suppose, against Brighton. But so I don't buy it. But if Alan's not the pitcher, well, he's going to be in the pitch most of the time. But I mean, who else could? Um, who else has missed this season? Do you have that for City? Um, I don't know. My, my, I guess my point is that Jared Bowen missed a penalty for West Ham last weekend and is straight away taken off the penalties. Yeah, Ben Rama scores one. Why is Mara still kicking them when he's? On I the don't pitch? know. I don't know. I think they're probably trying to get his confidence back because he's not quite at the level that he was at. So it's eight fifty-four. We've two more minutes. There's a lot of handshaking going on. There's oh. a lot of handshaking going on. Emma Carroll's not having any of this, by the way. She goes, you all thought the Golf Weekly watch-alongs were something. Try a rain watch-along. <laughs> and then at least rain is more interesting to watch than cricket anyway with the eye roll. Um, so even even beating England in cricket, uh, Emma's still not having it. But A-M-S. I think it looks like... It looks like... What? Eminence in the comments is... He's given a live rundown. Lashing rain and... Come on. Really bad now, the rain. I love you, Australia. Oh, Why don't they just wear football over. boots? Why don't they just wear football boots? The Irish lads look happy shaking hands, don't they? What? what? Like, no. All over... 
It is. It looks like it's all, they're all shaking hands. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Ireland have beaten England at the T20 Men's World Cup in 2022. This is absolutely historic stuff. And it was brilliant performance from them, by the way. It wasn't kind of fluky in any, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. They started brilliantly. They had a bit of a late collapse with the late batters. And then they gave England a very attainable target. And then we just bowled brilliantly until Moeen Ali came on. And then it was like, oh, this is getting all a bit hairy. And then the rain came. The rain came. <laughs> Saved us. We'll have to get Valbernie or some of the lads on. For sure. Off the back of this. Um, the rain gods are Irish. Uh, you can see some of the Irish fans as well in the crowd with their, their leprechaun hats and and all the rest the couple of beers um, yeah the English don't look too happy but I mean what a moment and I think the way the game was going rain, rain or no rain Ireland were playing well um, uh, Moeen Ali was kind of doing doing the job but look at the Irish fans absolutely loving it uh, Irish fans in Australia are going to get their money's worth in terms of sport between this and the Wimsworth Cup next year and Plenty of other bits. And the good weather and the great lifestyle that they have, you know. And Zach Tooley signed a new contract to become the, the most playing Irish person ever in the AFL. It's it's going pretty well at the moment. Uh, that is absolutely sensational. Yeah, the BBC calling a dreadful England slip to 86 for 5 against Ireland. That's the latest headline. Look into my veins. Uh, that's their latest headline on the uh, live blog. But that's a hugely significant result for Ireland not in overall terms in the history of it but also in terms of the tournament yeah. I mean that's going to give them a huge boost in the group as I say I think they play Afghanistan later in the week so uh, if they can get a win there they'd be in a really good spot but uh, yeah there's the Irish players celebrating now in the lashing rain to the fans in the stadium gee is it raining I hadn't noticed and uh, <laughs> that is just fantastic that is fantastic class yeah, Imanes in the comments got you lads on me TV and Five Live Sports Extra on Alexa. Jonathan Agnew breaking it, lads. Then he said three minutes. Then he said coming down heavier. They've said. Then he said we've won. So uh, everyone thanking Imanes in the comments for for the live updates. Um, ah, yeah, that's brilliant. It's brilliant. And and I only wish we could hear the um, the English commentary on the TV. Just to, that's why you always you know when you're watching England at a major football tournament and, and they start losing you could be watching on an Irish channel but you, when, when they start losing you switch straight over to the English channel just to hear the, the commentary and the despair in the voices uh, T20 is the type of thing that could easily catch on yeah yeah. Think, well this um, has been very sure. enjoyable yeah. 100% yeah um, it's a very enjoyable format and you know I, know I know we're saying it's raining and stuff but there's a good chance Ireland would have won that match if it did Regardless. go the, the full way so well, credit we, to them for their we were favoured at that stage for the win. so they win by 5 runs on the DLS method I think is that yeah. what the, the screen is telling us there so Andy Balburnie top scoring with 62 as well he was excellent earlier on and uh, it's a brilliant result because as I say they, they were brilliant in the first 10 overs then it kind of unravelled a little bit but uh, the bowling effort then in the early stages was fantastic and now all the players making their way over towards the fans there some great scenes great scenes trying to hug while holding on to the beard glasses as yeah. well that's not an easy thing uh, trying to do two things at once ah, great scenes Barry McCarthy as well who got the fifth uh, you can't say they haven't deserved it says Daniel Harris on the on the Guardian Live blog it's been a brilliant performance for them again and I'm already envious of the night they're going to have but this is a serious cricket team let's not pretend to the contrary and they've made their own history glorious stuff glorious glorious cricket Shifty lad in the comments as well commentary is being very complimentary lads we, they said it's well deserved fair play to them the plucky English giving it to us you can't do it anymore Nathan Johns good morning to you how are you? Morning, how are you doing? Can you good maybe afternoon, good, good evening here. Yeah, can you put some context on what we're witnessing on our screens here? This is incredible, isn't it? It's incredible. And the last time, look, everyone remembers 2011, Kevin O'Brien. The last time Ireland played England in T20 cricket, actually, was the World Cup in 2010. And it was complete reversal. Uh, Ireland were in a winning position and the rain came 
and cost Ireland a chance to win and there's no results. Today, I have to say, if there was two more balls there, even one more ball, England probably win this game. Um, Moeen Ali was on strike for England. Ireland were running their spinner, Gareth Delaney. Moeen Ali loves spin. He hit 12 runs off just three balls in that over. England were five runs behind where they needed to be. He hits the next ball for six and then it starts raining. Game over and England win. This is how fine the margins were. So look, it's from the Irish point of view, it's a bit of redemption from 2010 and, and what happened there. Um, a win's a win and Ireland were very good value for their win and look they were very poor at the bat at the end of their innings and the fact that the rain came meant that England didn't get a chance to make up for that at the end of their innings so there's some poetic justice there for sure but it's it's massive look anytime you win a game at a World Cup as a country like Ireland where cricket's such a small sport it, it can't not it can't be overstated how big it is and look England Melbourne cricket grounds it's you know, all the superlatives are, are certainly certainly are deserved Ireland bowled well, England batted poorly. Is that the general consensus, Nathan? At, at the start, yeah. I think the huge, huge moment, second ball of the, of the innings, uh, Josh Little gets England's captain out, Josh Butler. He's their, he's their best batter, probably. Um, and he's one of the favourites to be the top run scorer at this tournament. And he nicks off second ball, so that set the tone. Look, Ireland could probably put this game to bed a lot earlier. There were three drop catches, as well as the lads bowled. They've dropped three catches now. Two of them didn't really come back to bite them. Uh, the, the, the batters who were dropped got out relatively quickly after that there was one drop where the player went on to score 12 runs after he was dropped and in a game like this where five runs is the margin you're you're flirting with trouble there but look it's he it was an excellent bowling performance uh, I thought Andrew Balburnie the captain manoeuvred his bowling changes really well who, who to bowl and where to bowl them and he gave his best bowlers Adair and Little more time at the beginning more time than they're used to um, in the game probably with one eye on the fact that it might be raining and you're better off you don't want the rain to come and think God we, we wasted uh, our best bowlers so look he could have there's an argument to say he could have bowled them more but um, especially mention let's go to Fionn Hand as well he's his first World Cup game only his third international game and he comes on and second ball he bowl, he gets rid of Ben Stokes uh, who again one of England's biggest players so there's a lot to unpack here and a lot to digest but um, yeah it's it's certainly it's fantastic I'm looking here at the Irish players going to the stands to celebrate with their families and uh, it's it's ridiculous What's the age profile like of this team are, 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 you know because there's definitely a few young young fellas who we're going to see for hopefully the next decade It's it's mixed uh, the likes of Sterling and Balbrani are in their 30s but like, even like someone like Paul Sterling he's been around for he was there in 2010 actually for like Emma mentioned but like he was so young when he started he's only 32 and he's probably the most experienced player in this team so but yeah, Josh Little is early 20s, Harry Tector's 22, Gareth Delaney's 25, Lorcan Tucker is who batted very, very well today. He's in and around that age as well. Um, so yeah, no, look, this is there's a lot of young guys in this team. Um, you know, there's an argument that the depth isn't where it needs to be, but certainly the 11 that was on the field today, um, look, that 11, will the bones and, and core of that team will be together for a long time to come, that is for sure. Last question for you, Nathan. The, the rest of the, the competition, oh, look, I think everybody would still expect England and Australia to come out of this group, although maybe this really damages England's hopes. But what, what do you expect now from Ireland for the rest of the, the matches they have? Well, look, the narrative out of this camp ever since the West Indies win was they had a free hit. They had five games no matter what. And let's be honest, they weren't going to qualify for a semi-final. Um, so we'll just take some scalps and get through. And look, they've done that. They've, they've beaten England today. They got Afghanistan on Friday. They beat Afghanistan 3-2 in a series in, in, in Belfast in August. So, look, that's, that's a very winnable game. Um, and then you've got a crack at the hosts in Brisbane in their own country, Australia. They're struggling. They had to, had to come from behind win last night, but they lost their first game. Um, and New Zealand looked to be a really good team. Actually, New Zealand are playing at the MCG now, provided the rain stays away. So, we'll see, um, we'll see how they are. So, look, Ireland should definitely be targeting at least one more win from this group. Um, 
for those who delight in such uh, skullduggery, this win really puts England under the pump. Um, they've got playing Australia and New Zealand still and probably one defeat in those games, which is very likely given the way T20 cricket can fluctuate. That could that's probably them out of the tournament. So it's it's a big win on, on, on multiple levels. Nathan, enjoy whatever is about to happen down there. It sounds like it's going to be madness for the next while and I know you've got loads of work to do, but thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thanks, Jared. Cheers. It's uh, Nathan Johns there giving us immediate reaction from the uh, the MCG in Melbourne. Right, well, that's not a bad morning. It's uh, set things up nicely for us. Owen Morgan's on commentary for um, Sky, by the way. He's, he's at the ground. Is he happy? Or? He looks pretty happy, I have to say. Like, he yeah, seems to be course. suppressing a smile. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the party in Melbourne is going to be right. scandalous. Right. There you go. Uh, Carl, good stuff. Thanks, Thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Three minutes past nine, Ireland have beaten England in T20 and... Um, how did Nathan phrase it? If this type of skullduggery is your thing, then England are struggling. There you go. Look, if, if that hey, look, if that's your kink, that's up to you. You're you're allowed to have whatever it is in your life. That's fine. Tommy Rooney, good morning to you. Morning, Jer. Morning, Shane. I know you were glued to the cricket there, Tommy. Absolutely happy to be delayed by the cricket. There you go. Uh, the All Stars are this. Uh, they're Friday in the Convention Centre, are they? They are. Yeah. Um, have you got your tops? Ahead. I haven't. What? I didn't get it. Didn't get an invite. What? Yeah, host of the preeminent Gaelic football podcast and you can't even scrounge up an L invite to the All-Stars what is going on whoever's organising that he, that's, that's bad form I don't know Ger I don't know maybe do you know what maybe you're better off not being at them because we had to pick our football pod team of the year and you know you wouldn't want to upset people either you know um, the football pod team of the year will it be the All-Star team is there significant differences or can it even be have you grandfathered in some players who didn't make it to the All-Star <laughs> shortlist uh, I haven't and this is a collective team and personally I feel it's quite safe like I would like to debate this out with you guys and, and have some uh, put some changes here if you feel like it um, we have 45 nominees for the Football All-Stars this weekend we have three goalkeepers nominated do you want me to go through them quickly? yeah sure go for it yeah yeah three goalkeepers nominated uh, three very different goalkeepers three keepers nominated for different reasons Ethan Rafferty of Armagh Shane Ryan and Kerry Evan Comerford of Dublin we have 18 defenders nominated Kerry have Foley Morley Obiogliak Graham O'Sullivan and Tom O'Sullivan and Gavin White nominated Galway have Liam Silk Sean Kelly John Daly nominated only three Christy McCaig Conor McCluskey and Brendan Rogers are nominated from Derry the Dubs have James McCarthy and Lee Gannon Lee Keegan is nominated from Mayo Jerry O'Burns from Armagh Sean Powder from Cork and Keane Sheehan from Limerick in midfield, there's six players nominated. Paul Connery of Galway and Killian McDade. Connor Glass of Derry and Garrett McInnes of Derry. Brian Fenton from Dublin and Jack Barry from Kerry. And up top, the forwards, 18, with nine different counties getting a shout. David Clifford, Paddy Clifford, Sean O'Shea, Stephen O'Brien from Kerry. Shane Walsh, Damien Comer, Rob Finnerty from Galway. Rian O'Neill, Stephen Campbell and Rory Grugan from Armagh. Kieran Kenny and Con O'Callaghan from Dublin. Shane McGuigan, Ethan Doherty from Derry. Clare have Ben McCormick nominated. Owen Cleary is nominated from Clare. Stephen Sherlock is nominated from Cork. And Jack McCarran is nominated from Monaghan. Now, the All-Star team is going to be picked from those 45 and we can take from there. Okay, so who's in goals? I like. I don't know if there's much of a debate around this. There has been a bit of a debate, but Shane Ryan is in goals for me. Kerry goalkeeper, led his team to the All-Ireland, conceded one goal I think one goal from play screamer. all year like Owen Sheen was banging on about it all year a screamer an exceptional goal but he did his job really really well throughout the the naysayers or the Eaton Rafferty uh, selectors 
will say truthers will say that Raffin Ethan on. Rafferty rocked the championship. He uh, entertained us throughout. He certainly did. He scored two points. He laid on that ball for Jamar Hall in extra time against uh, Galway that probably should have seen Armagh over the line before Kenny McDade rescued it and brought it to penalties. He had 80 touches in open play compared to uh, Shane Ryan's involvement in open play. Armagh used him as a, as a running goalkeeper. So he's a modern day version of what we think the goalkeeper might become. But I find it hard to look beyond Shane Ryan, lads. If Dublin had beaten Kerry you probably would give it to Evan Comerford for his ability to kill the game. <laughs> I'm only joking. But, you know, that was Comerford's biggest contribution, I would say, and it was, like, a big moment. So it was. It was. It, like, look, I, I, not the type of thing you used to get All-Stars for, but I, I can see in the modern game, like... <laughs> Talk about skullduggery. Yeah. Is Rafferty not just... Like, Rafferty's a penalty save away in that Galway game from a definite All-Star, is he not? Because you get to the semi-final and then it's shoo-in. Shane, I'd be very surprised if every single argument of yours today isn't an Ulster argument, but <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Rafferty, is he a shoe in? He had such a rocky start to the championship. And yeah. I like Ethan Rafferty is one of the top scorers in that Armagh 15 when he plays. Like He's, he's played a number of years at wing forward or midfield in inter-county football. He's not a goalkeeper. It's so impressive what he did. But what, when Shane Ryan was that good, it's hard to look past him when he's brought Kerry to an All-Ireland final. Okay. Was there a bit of doubt before? Am I misremembering whether or not who was the goalkeeper? We're not sure. And then Peter Keane flip flop between Shane Murphy and Shane Ryan a lot. Um, I found it difficult to tell who was better throughout because you weren't sure the traits of which. But Shane Ryan was number one all all year long, essentially this year, um, especially after the league. And you always got the sense that Jack was sticking with Shane Ryan. Um, and he proved them right in a lot of ways. Like he, he delivered throughout. There was no big mistakes, and it's it's just hard. I just find it hard to look past that in a goalkeeper. Okay, full back line. Full back line. Chris McKeg is in it for me. I, I started questioning myself today because it's so long since we picked this team. But Chris McKeg, captain Derry to the Ulster title. He did so many unbelievable man marking jobs throughout. Unfortunately, some of the images that stick out in my head for Christian McCaig is Rory Gallagher screaming at him after he took two shots in the Coway game that he shouldn't have taken. But McCaig just led by example throughout and like Derry winning the Ulster title is massive. He captained them. Jason Foley's full back. Wasn't tested against Khan, but like, look at the job they did locking down Comer. That Kerry defensive unit, similar to Galway's, it was about the collective. But Foley was just exceptional all year long and he's progressed so much from the player yeah. who broke onto the scene was playing cornerback a couple of years ago. It's funny, isn't it? Like uh, When you're thinking about selecting a team at the end of the season that represents the best players of the year, you could easily just decide that you're going to pick the best six man markers because they're the ones who are doing the one-on-one defending, which is the art of defending a lot of the defenders who get picked end up being uh, highlighted by a system. Sometimes they're they're a plus one and so they get on a lot of ball and they look flashy, but they don't yes. actually have a lot of blocking to do. They don't have a lot of uh, man marking to do. They're never in that 1v1, as Kenny would say. And so we don't know how good a defender they are. But in, in this instance, I think you kind of do know that Jason Foley is an excellent defender as well as somebody who is benefiting from the system. Yeah, I totally agree, Jerry. I think you're right that, that that can happen a lot or else you'll have the players who are bursting forward and getting the scores and perhaps they have a slightly freer role or they've left some, like someone marking them, not marking them, you know? Yeah. But I, I think you're right. I think up to this point, it's hard to argue with those those two selections. Now, the third one is going to cause a bit of consternation. I don't think it should. I actually think Thomas Sullivan is a shoe-in for an all-star. 
talk about man on my markers he always got the toughest job he wasn't protected in a way that other parts of the carry defence was Tom O'Sullivan kicking points throughout so the argument against him is, is Shane Walsh is it? the argument against him is that people say semi-finals and finals count for double Okay, and I completely understand that when it comes to the All-Stars we're going to probably have a debate about the rock started his Reno O'Neill a little later I hope we do have a debate about it um, but Tom O'Sullivan throughout the championship was unbelievable and in the All-Ireland final you can you can say he didn't lay a paw on Shane Walsh but I, it's actually what Shane Walsh did in that final is, is a lot more to do with Shane Walsh than it was to do with Tom O'Sullivan I think there's one stage when O'Sullivan gives him a bit too much space and he's like there's no way he's kicking that uh, there's another stage when Walsh is nowhere near him another stage where Walsh hands off a different carry defender and pops it over the bar Walsh was just on fire he was on it can't remember who he said it to that morning it could have been the go away uh, kit man or, or kit woman and he said it to him that morning I'm on it he's going to be on it. Shane Walsh there was no stopping Shane Walsh in that all-around final Thomas Sullivan didn't get burned for a goal do you know it, there's no great uh, images of him getting absolutely destroyed I, I think on the balance of the entire year I'm giving Thomas Sullivan that, that shout but I, I am open to who's, you know, who's yeah. he ahead of yeah I, I think there's a bit of jiggery pokery going on in the half back line so you could easily if you wanted to keep it a bit more of a systemic team you could put Liam Silk there um, I'm probably giving it away now but I, I like Liam Silk is in the top six defenders of the year in my opinion so Silk number four or two probably is more natural I'm not sure who else you go for I actually think Thomas Sullivan was essentially the best defender in the in the league this year in the league in the championship sorry okay. in the entire year I think he was the okay. best popular okay. defender okay um, yeah. right so you've got Liam Silk in the half back line you've already told us that I do I've oh. got Tyg Morley at six from Kerry um, again you might talk about the system I think you're right but he was just so integral to how that Kerry system worked and John Daly again a benefactor in ways of the system he had a, you know that plus one role but as a playmaker some of his passes were the highlight of the year mm. and like where Daly has come from recovering from a uh, terrible broken leg to get to the form he was in today at the minute was just was brilliant to see so I kind of slept on John Daly I'll be honest a little bit and then I realised around the All-Ireland semi-final holy god this guy is unbelievable so uh, I'm a big fan of John Daly I find it hard to argue with that defence as a unit but there are arguments to be made Gavin White for me personally I'm very, I find it very difficult to leave him off that team and I thought Jerry Oak Burns from Armagh was brilliant as well I, uh, um, I, uh, I'm a big fan of Brendan Rodgers as well <clears throat> cult hero Brendan yes. Rodgers now look it's hard to, to argue against bringing in John Daly because like dad's a Galway man and like didn't he set up nearly all of Comer's scores in that um, uh, all game that's, yeah that's like, the thing he, he's, he, he kicks like a like a forward and he's only what 21 2021 20, uh, so it's, like I would have Rodgers close but I mean it's hard to leave John Daly out I think at wing back I think you're right I think if that all around final goes the other way yeah. and Rodgers gets the best of Damien Comer there's very hard to leave Brendan Rodgers out of the all starting mm. And Daly didn't get into the RTE Sunday game team of the year, I don't think. So like, Did he not? but like okay. a lot of people were even saying you know, he was almost good enough to be nominated for footballer of the year. Like he was probably in the top seven or eight. Mm. Um, so yeah, leaving leaving John Daly out, I think, is a, is an on runner. Uh, okay, I do think semi finals count double, and I think James McCarthy put in one of the greatest performances an individual has ever put in for the greatest team of all time, and I think. I would certainly find a way to grandfather him in everybody here knows I'm biased uh, b- big fan of um, James McCarthy but I'm happy you're making that argument Jared, because Paddy Andrews very passionately made it on the football pod as well 
and like it's an all-time great standout performance in a losing team. It's like it, it's the defensive equivalent of Shane Walsh in the final. Like it's almost as effective. Like lest we forget, Kerry were killing Dublin until a little bit of Evan, Evan Comerford jiggery pokery, and then James McCarthy had to back that up. So Comerford keeps them alive, but they're like clinging on by their fingernails. And then they push Kerry to the pin of their collar and they require like the greatest free kick we've ever seen. Like, But this Kerry team, who I think could easily win three in a row, would have been stopped in their tracks cold by James McCarthy's performance in that semi-final. And I think... By one man. You, you need to be able to... Well, not very many other people stood up to the level that they were capable of standing up to. In the second half, uh, several players played well. But in the first half... Fenton was good in the first half. Sorry, but McCarthy was sensational. Can I can I say something against that? So the so these these are judged on league and championship. Yes. So Dublin get relegated from the league. Are they? Hold on. Yeah, I think so. I think I, they shouldn't. We don't know. Uh, like McCarthy, the, Dublin get relegated from the league. They win an, a Leinster championship at a canter as they usually do. Um, so then you're looking at a, a quarter final win and a loss to Kerry. So I, I find it hard to put any dubs. A loss, yeah, but like yeah, scoreboard journalism here. You know, <laughs> uh, good, good. You can play. You can play the best game of your life in a defeat. Well, yeah. <clears throat> and for the All Stars, it's not about whether or not the team won or, or lost. Uh, who, who are you putting McCarthy in for? In head I'm of? putting. I'm putting Liam Silk in uh, in the fullback line. Right. Oh. <clears throat> you do what you want there. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you take it out. Well, it's either. I think I. It's uh, one of the carry lads. What are the carry lads? Like so either Foley or Sullivan. Foley or Sullivan. Or clean oh. silk. I don't care. Right? You, you. I don't. I don't mind. But I'm, I'm saying in my I, team. I, I will. Uh, maybe we can come back to this before we finish. But like I will say that the, the triple turnover, the kick out that he breaks, and the point that he kicks. Being in the stadium was like and feeling the blue wave and the noise. Mm. Where usually I'm, you know, a broken mead fan. I was a neutral that day. It was incredible to witness what James McCarthy did. Like, he got the entire place off their feet. He did only play two championship games? Yes, correct. I think. I, think I, I still will go back to the point that Kieran Donnelly was Footballer of the Year when he played a game and a half. Like, he was the but Footballer of the Year. But they won the All-Ireland. Yeah. But they won the All-Ireland. Yeah, yeah, but he, he, he turned the course of that. And like, anyway, okay. James, James didn't turn the course of anything. But look, well, I, he turned the course of an absolute hammering into uh, last kick of the game, sure. I think. Sure. But like, come Who on. Who cares? Who cares? Like, Who cares? Not that I played brilliantly. Did you feel alive? <laughs> Are you not entertained? I felt more alive when Sean O'Shea kicked the kicked the winning score and Kerry go on to win the All Ireland as a result. You were you of Kerry, were you? Well, well, uh, no, I just I felt alive as a neutral watching that moment. I was like, yeah, but you, you wouldn't have got that moment. Is my point? It would have been a twelve to fifteen point mullering. But I think it, it would be harsh to take a Kerry lad out because of it. Because well, of harsh, but your life is harsh. True. <laughs> Midfield: uh, Connor Glass and Killian McDade. I think Killian McDade might be one of those unopposed. Uh, well, I, I I had this wrapped up in on June twenty fifth. I tweeted, "You can hang Connor Glass as All Star this evening." That was about eight minutes into the. Uh, Derry Clare game and the next day I actually tweeted you can hand Killian McDade as all-star this evening but that was a, a much easier argument because he had put in one of the most remarkable performances in the All-Ireland quarterfinal against Armagh where he single-handedly essentially kept them through in extra time with that goal yeah. that unbelievable punch. like McDade and Glass two guys back from the AFL not always the easiest transition but did they set the tone this year physically uh, even emotionally the way they played McDade's quality on the ball like he 
I think it was the Leitrim game when we first realised that okay this guy can kick points I think he kicked three points in the 45 that day and he just delivered throughout awesome awesome footballers um, the two of them Glass after leading Glenn to uh, another Derry Championship at the weekend um, so he's had a good year himself so I just find it hard to argue with the two of them the other shouts Paul Conroy faded as the Championship went on had an unbelievable year up to that Fenton I think we do judge, judge the dubs at different standards but he just didn't have the, the type of year that we're so used to seeing with Brian Fenton Jack Barry was in the mix I actually think Jeremy O'Connor was unlucky not to get nominated um, but I just find it hard to argue with um, sorry Garrett McKinless as well was nominated too find it hard to argue with, with McDade and Glass OK the half forward line yeah there's a couple of debates we can have here right but I'll give you the half forward line that we settled on in the football pod Paulie Clifford 10 Sean O'Shea 11 Kieran Kilkenny 12 I can spot my my omission there straight away. Go for it, who? Kilkenny. Well, should I, I give our full forward line before? Sorry, go on, Tommy. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk, we'll talk about them as a six because there might be somebody yeah. who's... Uh, 13, David Clifford. Sorry, the second unopposed, 13, yeah. 15, Shane Walsh. Third unopposed. <laughs> 14, Damien Comer. Okay. Now go on, have at me. Kilkenny out and Shane McGuigan in for Ooh. me. McGuigan was unbelievable this year, and I, like, and and both of them lost semi final. Like it's <clears throat> it's much for muchers. And Kilkenny was brilliant again, um, and maybe you do have to get the the dubs in there. You don't one or two. I don't think you do. Like uh, I, uh, my dub, you, you know my dub. I I would tend to agree that um, if we're holding Brian Fenton to high, higher standards, you kind of have to hold Kilkenny to the same standard where he's been in the conversation for footballer of the year and didn't reach that level this year. Second half mm-hmm. against Kerry stood up. First half against Kerry didn't have his best game, I would say. Um, he was head and shoulders rest, uh, above the rest of the dubs throughout the year. The only one that consistently performed. Fenton had moments. McCarthy had that second half. Kieran Kilkenny throughout the year was the only dub that kept his standards up there, in my opinion. Rain O'Neill not in the team? And yeah. so therefore, do you not like That's stick like Shane Walsh into the half-forward line and away you go? Because you have to have Comer and Walsh, don't you? Do you have to have Comer, Shane? Like that's that's the big debate that we would have had. Like Shane McGuigan, I totally agree with you. I, he was actually in my personal team, top scorer in all. Oh, you're distancing yourself from the official football pod team there, throwing your football I, pod colleagues under the bus. I hope that, Paddy and James both realise that. It's okay, that it's okay to do it on the pod, but you can't do it in public. Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I made the argument for Shane McGuigan, guys, but like, how do you leave off Rean O'Neill? Mm. Like when you say, are you not entertained? <laughs> Rean O'Neill and that Armagh side delivered so much this year from day one like from that beating they dished out to the Dubs and Croker where we all stood up and went hmm what's going on here mm-hmm. and it led to their relegation uh, Armagh obviously fell short in one of the most epic games of Gaelic football I think we've ever seen like on, on every level and Rean O'Neill was essential throughout if you do look at it on results and, and you can switch it around whatever way you want in terms of O'Neill and Shane McGuigan like McGuigan won his province O'Neill didn't and then of course McGuigan gets to the All-Ireland semi-final O'Neill doesn't albeit uh, I mean O'Neill was brilliant in that defeat to Galway in the quarter-final and that kick to, to bring it to, to extra time was just incredible but if you do look at results and results is maybe a harsh way of differentiating between players but McGuigan has to get in there O'Neill would be the most unlucky player not to get in there prob- probably It's it's the all-star Shane it's not about <laughs> results it's about individual performances isn't it? Yeah yeah um, but then, if individual performances lead to 
big wins is that not t- something to take into account as well I don't know like I f- I, I'm not going to argue too strongly against Rhian O'Neill because I, I can't and don't want to um, who, who are you leaning on Jared? Like I would have thought that people would have been chewing Damien Comer out of this team so, somebody, somebody who knows a little bit about playing football but a bit more than uh, I would say the three of us even, even Tommy no way is uh, Keane Johnson who's working with us at the moment um, oh yeah Rhian O'Neill over Comer all day Tommy Comer was locked down in the quarterfinal and the final had a good game against Derry when Rogers marked him instead of McCaig okay um, I'm listening to Keane on that one hey. like, I had Comer in my team because of what he did in that All-Ireland semi-final and you know I think the Galway system let him down in the All-Ireland final like it made no sense to me that Damien Comer didn't get any ball maybe he wasn't right if you take Comer out you, you, you have four of your 15 then Tommy as, as Galway men is that enough for, for what they achieved this year Maybe it is. They didn't win the All Ireland. Yeah. Like, I, I think it is in ways, you know. Um, like you look at the Tottenham Cup All Star team. Cavan got four. Westmead got six. We're looking at giving Kerry seven here at the minute. Um, I'll leave it up to you two. If you want to drop Kilkenny or you want to drop Comer or you want to drop uh, who's their third wing back that's a, a bit in trouble. If you want to drop one of our defenders, I'm happy for you boys to make the chopping block. Make the decisions here now. You I'm, know. Like I, if it was down to me alone, I'd be taking Kilkenny out and putting McGuigan in. Uh, Rory Darmus says the same thing on Twitter as well. Mm. I see Monaghan men think alike. It's not necessary Ulster bias. Uh, Kilkenny's been brilliant, but as Jerry said, I think we hold him to a certain standard, and he hasn't. Are we going it. with Keane Johnson's pick here? Are we going with Rean instead of Damien Comer? Instead of Comer. Okay, I have a lot of Galway family watching this right now, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue against. Yeah, we are. We are. We are. I'm, I'm going to stop him from um, being scared and saying, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just got to make these decisions. Yeah, I don't want to be accused of too much ultra bias by replacing Comer with O'Neill either. So that's my. That's my. Well, my I think Green O'Neill had such an exceptional, uh, entertaining year. Mm. Oh, we're dropping, we're dropping Damien Comer for Green O'Neill. I don't know about this. It'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll inspire him over the winter. Maybe. He'll, um, he'll stick that picture up. What do you think? What do you think of that? OTBAM when they win next year. Yes. What well, the, the, we're, we're back in you, Tommy. That's what you wanted. No, I'm leaving it up to you to make the decision. This is well, our I'd, team. I'd, I'd be I'd be sticking uh, Rian O'Neill in instead of Kilkenny, and I'd have Comer in ahead of Kilkenny. Okay. That's that. So would be Rian mine. Twelve. Yeah, I like, would. I'd put Shane Walsh twelve. Oh, Shane, right. Shane McGuigan sitting crying into his cornflakes, lads. If he doesn't have an unbelievable year. He was class. He an unbelievable year. Yeah. One of the standouts. Every single game he played, I watched, I watched him destroy Monaghan up close and personal in the athletic grounds one day. Um, every time he touched the ball, you just had a sense of dread in your stomach. And I, and I, and I don't get that about many players. Rina is another, but McGuigan anything Derry, touches it. I think Derry have two all-star picks here already and they'll do well to get three. I'll be honest about that. Yeah, and it's probably hard to argue against McKeague or Glass. I'm sorry, do you think that mm. the all-star team is going to be the same as this? Um, football of the I year. actually think it'll be very close to the okay. couple pot team but I do think like I'm with you let's put Rean O'Neill in at 12 or uh, in and put Shane Walsh at 12 okay um, gave me, because I do think that he had a big year he did have a big year it was kind of like you know it, when you have the semi-final that you have you get a lot of credit for that because um, yeah. those games do count double and I do buy Keane's point though that like if they had McCaig on him they might be we might be talking about an Ireland final where Chrissy McCaig versus uh, David Clifford was one of the all time great battles but we'll have to yeah. wait to, to whatever the competition is called next year What what is the competition called next year is it a Super 12s Super 4 oh. uh, 
Well, it's 16, really, isn't Super it? 16s? Super 16s? My sweet 16s? I don't know what they're calling it. Sweet 16s, if you want to go with that, okay. Let's go with it. Uh, player of the year? Uh, we have three nominees here. Um, Kenny McDade, Shane Walsh, David Clifford. If, Come on. If, they, if Galway had won, right, you'd have to give it to McDade even though yeah. Shane Walsh wins the game for them. Yeah. Ooh. Over the course of the year. Yeah, I agree. Like, because you guys were all kept saying, "Oh, Shane Walsh, Shane Walsh, he's he's so I can't wait to see what it's like when he finally bursts, when he finally breaks out." And then it didn't come in Connacht, and it didn't come in the quarterfinal, and it didn't come in the semi-final. And then all of a sudden, in the biggest game, it's like the greatest breakout that we've ever seen, where somebody outruns and beats the hype. Mm. Uh, that's like one of the. And that's why it's such a great performance, and that's why he's like so magnetic from now on. But Killian McDade was the heartbeat of that team that brought a team who were fifth or sixth favourites to within 10 minutes of, of winning the All-Ireland. Clifford's going to get it, right? But I can make the case, I can make the case that... I think you can make the case. I do think that if Shane Walsh leads Galway to the All-Ireland title and you talk about the appeal of a player, you talk about the marketability of a player, I, I actually think that's a factor here. I think that's why Andy Moore won Footballer of the Year and Paddy Andrews never won an All-Star. Just because McDade doesn't wear white boots? Come on. I mean, he he deserved it as well. Oh, that was a bit of a joke. But um, <laughs> I, I know I do agree with you, Shane. I do agree uh, that McDade was... Is Paddy, not, is Paddy not handsome? Is he not handsome enough for you? Is that what the problem I, was? No, it's not that. It's not that. It's the... Uh, Paddy's now coming out of his shell now. He maybe didn't come out of his shell. He needed to do a few more interviews, basically, is what you're saying. That's that's what I'm saying. And I, I just think that maybe it's very hard to look past a player like that when it gets to football of the year territory. All right. Uh, so it's Clifford it's Clifford what about your young player of the year we've got Lee Gannon Ethan Doherty and Jack Lynn Ooh, uh, like I watched Lee Gannon very closely this year he's my shot Ethan Doherty for me does not look like a Gaelic footballer he, he literally skinned. every single pick has been the most special he was brilliant in every game I watched uh, and I saw all of Derry's games and I, I just find it hard he just orchestrated things and I know Rory Gallagher loves him wants everything to go through mm. him um, just does a job and and it's 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 underrated in some ways because you have some of the bigger names around him, uh, like Glass and, and McGuigan ahead of him as well doing the business. Um uh, yeah, yeah, for me it's Ethan Doherty. I don't know I don't know who'll get it. I don't know what the uh, the bookies say on that one, but um I'd be picking Ethan Doherty. Yeah, okay, I can go with that as well. Um Okay. Tommy, I don't know who you have to um complain to to get a ticket for you, but you should go. It should you should go and take the take the brick bats. You'd enjoy getting slagged off at the at the bar for four hours by uh Bunch of lads wrecking your head about why they should have been in your team. Maybe, maybe another year. Are you, are you otherwise engaged? If Thanks I for the shout out, Jerry. If I, if I get a late ticket, who knows? Maybe I can get a talk to short notice. We'll see. <laughs> Tommy, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Good work. Bye bye. That's uh, the Tommy Rooney slash football pod slash OTBAM All Stars for the year. Not bad. I don't know. I don't know what changes we even made in the end, but I think we we made a couple. Uh, who's your player of the year, lads? That is the question. Says Kieran Doherty. It's going to end up being Clifford. That yeah, is, yeah. I, I like he, you know, obviously he left again. Like Shane Walsh, he left his best performance of the year for the All Ireland final. So you can't really argue against that. Mm-hmm. And he is the best footballer in the country by an absolute mile. So you're kind of nitpicking here about like, well, early on there was just a little bit of injury and it looked like after the Sigerson he wasn't mm. fully. But then he didn't need to be. No. They, they understand that you've got to peak for the right moments. Kilkenny was nullified in the quarterfinal against Cork, never felt the weight of it, says O'Toole, 1905. James McCarthy ain't on the team. What's the point, says Danny Mack. I mean, I kind of agree at the moment. I think, uh, like, when he retires, everybody's going to be like, oh, he was the player 
that made the whole thing work. He was the best player on the team. Mm-hmm. Cluxton changed the game from a goalkeeping perspective, but like maybe somebody else would have done that too. Whereas there was nobody else to do what McCarthy was doing. See, did the all-star pickers try and get the the county spread around there? Maybe you pick a, a dub or two and you pick a... It's very unscientific. It is unscientific, but I feel like that's what's done traditionally. It should make yeah, a bit more science into it wouldn't be any harm. But um ain't gonna get that anytime soon. Half nine this morning. Ireland have beaten England in the T twenty World Cup in the cricket. Uh, a dark day for English cricket. I think we can all agree. When you know, when one of the upstar colonies comes and beats you at your own game, it's a dark day. The uh, Telegraph sent a push notification on it. Sloppy England embarrassed by Ireland at T twenty World Cup. Ah, so they're, yes. they're taking it well over there. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're all off to uh, enjoy uh, a few pints of the black stuff and, uh, and revel in our newfound fame as the uh, overlords of cricket. I mean, can't even, can't even beat us at your own game. Um, on a slightly separate but related tangent, uh, one of the Wrexham players has been uh, reprimanded for riding F the Tories on his boots. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if Rob McElhenney and, and Ryan Reynolds. They're like, what, what, what are these Tories? Yeah, What's they, this about? They have no idea. Is this good? Yeah. Is this bad? Are we the baddies? It's good publicity. It's publicity for the Wrexham, for, as if they need it anymore. But um, <laughs> it's one way of, uh, of... Well, you can get anything written on your boots these days, but uh, but surely, yeah, the political slogans maybe will be stopped at the, at the side of the pitch. I mean, it is a political note to just tell the truth like that. Is it? I, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, it's factual. Yeah, yeah. All uh, right. OTBAM brought to you live with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Uh, on OTB Sports Radio for you today, uh, OTB Gold is an Irish football special. This is from back in the day. Shay Gibbon, Niall Quinn, Jason McAteer, interviewed by Kevin Caban. Uh, it is worth your while. Three o'clock, the latest episode of Koi Gig. Our retro panel at four is Gambling and Addiction. OTB Gold is Colin Good Cooper at six. And then the show is live tonight with Joe Malloy, where there'll be plenty on the cricket and loads more besides. Follow OTB across our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in the latest sports content. After the break, we're back with Republic of Ireland football star Denise O'Sullivan. Um, uh, we chatted yesterday in the back of Ireland's World Cup draw. Tomorrow on the show, more on Ireland's historic win this morning over England uh, down in the Melbourne cricket ground and also our hurling all-stars predictions plus plenty more. We'll see you then. OTB AM. All right, I'm delighted to say Denise O'Sullivan is with us. Denise, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very good. How are you doing? I'm very good. What part of the world are you in at the moment? I'm in North Carolina now. Right, okay. Uh, your season is over, is it? The, like, the final next week, this weekend coming, is it? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we didn't make the playoffs this year, so we finished our last game on September 30th, so I've been off a while now after international camp. Right, so it's proper off-season, hanging out, um, taking advantage of the good weather in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful here right now, but um, just training myself and just hanging with the, the family that I live here and stuff, so... It's not too bad. I'm excited to go back to Ireland though and see family soon. I was going to say, so like, is is that the plan for a while to down take a bit of downtime, or like in the past in the off season, sometimes you've gone alone to Australia. <laughs> Do you have any plans? Yeah, this year I didn't want to go anywhere. Um, I wanted to kind of give my body a rest um, from going and playing again. It, it's been a tough season uh, with the courage, so going to Australia wasn't really on the cards this year and obviously with the World Cup I want to make sure my body is 100% right um, going into next year so I'll be spending a lot of time training myself here and I'll stay around North Carolina probably for most of the off season go home for Christmas but I'll be in the gym um, 
getting things right myself. Um, I think you guys missed out on the playoffs by a single point at the end of a 20-game season. Yeah, we did, unfortunately. Um, it was gotten. It's the first time we haven't made the playoffs here since I've been with the club, so it was, it was hard to take. But um, we went to San Diego and we needed basically needed to win that game and, and we drew. And then we needed to depend on another result, result which didn't go our way in the end. So missed out by a, by a point, but um, there has been a lot of changes this season. Um, obviously, new coach coming in, a lot of new players. We have a mix of young and experienced, now more young this year. So um, still, the team is still learning together. They're growing and I think next year we'll be, uh, we'll be good to go. Uh, what's life like in North Carolina? It sounds like it's pretty good and it sounds like you like it a lot. What did you say? Sorry, I missed. What's life like in North Carolina? Ah, it's it's great. I love it here. Honestly, I love the lifestyle. Um, it's a very very um nice place that I live in. I obviously live with a host family here that I met, uh, during the pandemic. I started coaching their daughter, and now, and now I live with them. Uh, two two and a half years later, so it's it's really nice, and the weather the weather is really good here, and we're close to the beach, we're close to the mountains, so um, it's not bad. Is this the type of thing where you'd like go to America and never come back? Is that part of your future maybe? <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't see this. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think it could be part of my future. I, I really do enjoy it here. So um and the league is is very competitive, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, because, you know, it's always one of those things where you come back, tear up trees for Ireland, uh, sometimes player of the match, sometimes scoring loads and loads and loads of goals, sometimes creating the winner. And everyone's like, oh, you, how come you're not playing in the in the women's league in, in England? And you're like, well, because of Carolina, it's much nicer. Yeah, I get I get that a lot. A lot of people ask me that. And I think I've, I've settled here and um, I still challenge myself every single day that I'm here. And that's why I show up to camp in, in top shape, because... The environment that I'm part of here is top, top class, very professional. It's one of the toughest training environments in the league. Um, pre-season is absolutely horrific in a good way. Um, so I get very fit. And throughout the year, I also stay fit because I look after my body very well. And and that's why I show up to international camp and I'm able to do what I do because I do I do take care of myself. <laughs> so that's why I'm still playing in this league because it's I would say it's one of the best in the world. Yeah, and it's, it's it's so well, so long established as one of the best leagues in the world that there's like a tradition and rivalries and, um, you know, it's it's just accepted that it is there. Whereas the league in England is kind of just getting up to that level where it's uh, it's expected that the coverage will be at the level that it's at at the moment. Um, that's like mm-hmm. You've kind of had a front row seat for all that. I, I did want to ask you, um, we'll get on to the World Cup, obviously, and, and um, in, in a moment, but the, the bit where you realised that you wanted to be a full-time professional athlete and that you actually really enjoyed the dedication that is required to get your body right for all those games. When did that penny drop with you? Were you a teenager? Even at that stage, were you thinking, right, I can do this? Yeah, I was young, honestly. Um, I was probably before 15 years old. I was always, I always had a football at my feet. I was always out in the street playing all day long with all the boys. My mom would call me in for dinner at 8pm that night. So I, I would never, ever stop until I got home from school. And once I got called into the, you know, the school's teams, the Irish teams, I just knew that I wanted to be a professional football, footballer. It was always there. The love for the game was always there. So um, I knew from a very, definitely from a very, very young age that I wanted to be that. And I just put my mind to it from a, a young age and, and stuck with it and worked hard. And um, yeah. <laughs> Is the is the key moment the move to Glasgow or was it even before that where you were like, okay, actually I could make it all the way to professionalism here? I think it, it was definitely, that helped a lot to move, to move to Glasgow because before that, 
I, I always knew I wanted to be a professional footballer, but I think the, the hurdle that I had to get over was leaving home, you know. Um, obviously, coming the youngest of 10 in my family, being around my family all the time, um, it was very, very hard for me to leave home. So once I got over that hurdle and I'd done it, then um, I got a, a taste of what life could be as a professional footballer, you know. Um, and once I got that taste, I, I knew from there on that I was going to I was gonna kick on and... Um, yeah, play at the highest level eventually. And so obviously Glasgow is, is successful. Uh, you know, you scored a goal every second game over the course of three seasons with them. When does the opportunity to come to the States happen? How did that fall into place? Uh, we actually played uh, the USA with the national team. I think it was back in 2015. Um, I was with Glasgow at the time and I had an agent then as well, you know, uh, representing me. And um, I'm pretty sure the Houston Dash coaches or whatever got in touch they seen me play against the USA they got in touch with my my agent representative and they just spoke from there on and um, going to the USA when I was there with the national team I, I remember saying to Sav, Savannah McCarthy like I would love I remember it like on the bus I said to her I would love to play in the USA and um, she'll tell you that herself and after that it was it was so interesting because everything just started to happen and uh, they were talking about contracts and uh, then it just, I, I was just there. It was mad. So, um, yeah, USA was always somewhere I wanted to play and still here <laughs> six and, years later. Well, so that, that that's the bit. So you, you get you get somewhere and you don't know if you're going to make a success of it. Obviously, you you know, you, you give yourself every opportunity you possibly can in terms of fitness and mm-hmm. psychology and everything. But like, when do you realise you're good enough to be there and to actually not just be good enough to be there, but to actually be there and thrive? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't easy at all. I, I first went to Houston and I had to go through a lot of challenges in that first, second year. Um, first year was, was all right. I was getting game time and then going into the second year, a new, a changing coach. Coach didn't really like me, fair enough. Um, and I got a minute playing time every game. Sometimes I wouldn't even come onto the pitch. And um, I do remember coming back to the national team. We played against Scotland and I just wasn't myself on the pitch. No confidence I wasn't fit because I wasn't getting game time. I wasn't sharp. So um, I did have a chat in camp with uh, Dan Horan, the the strength coach. And he said to me, you got to go back and tell him that you need to leave. And uh, I built up the courage to go do that. And after that, my career just kicked on when the North Carolina Courage wanted me to, to come down here. Because in American sports, it's not quite as easy. Like trades do happen, no. but it's not. It's not the same. Like there's there's not that kind of general acceptance that the the player has a lot of power. You can refuse to play. You can ask for a trade, but like you very frequently get treated really badly if you do that. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Definitely wasn't easy, and I think that's why I was half afraid to go and tell them. But um, I did anyway. And the way it works here is, they said yes, you can you can leave um, as long as. You- <laughs> As long as you don't go to another team in the NWSL, that's what they said. And um, I was planning to go to Germany at the time. Um, and then I got put out in a waiver list, which happens here in this league. Once you're released, you get put out in a waiver list. And within 24 hours, um, any team in the league can come in for you. So the next day, uh, the Courage, a few days after, the Courage contacted uh, myself and said, we want you to come down here. So, uh yeah, it's not it's not an easy uh, process here, but it definitely worked out in the end for me. Yeah, so hard hard in your mouth for those kind of seventy two yeah. hours while you're waiting to see exactly what happens, and then you're like, yes, Carolina sounds great. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, nice... obviously not. I obviously not playing a minute with with Houston. You think, Adam? Sure, there's no team going to come in for me, and that's why that's why I was prepared to go to Germany. Um, but luckily, the the courage to come in in the end. <laughs> and so, when you get there, that's the bit where you start to feel like first off, they want you because they've claimed you off waivers, and then the environment is obviously something that you responded to. Hmm. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. And the first few weeks, I was absolutely lost in the environment because it was such a high level um, compared to Houston. No disrespect. But the level was just so different to the training, the players. Um, so, yeah, it took me, it definitely took me a while uh, to get used to the environment. And it took me months to get into the starting 11. Um, I would come on and play a few minutes here and there. But um, I really, really had to work hard once I got here and get myself into the starting 11. And I actually started um, in the number 10 here <laughs> uh, playing for this team. And um, it it wasn't quite working out for me. Obviously, in the number ten, you want to be scoring goals and you want to be assisting. But I guess I was new in the league, and it was it was hard for me to do it at the time. And um, I got moved into the number six, the deeper role, and that seemed to really suit me. And I'm still I'm still playing in that position to this day. So it is it's working out well there. I really really do like that deeper position well, that, and playing in the six. That's important, isn't it? Because like the difference just from. The ability to use your your technical proficiencies, stamina, all that kind of stuff that um, you know, and also then deeper lying passing range is hugely mm-hmm. important. So, did that did that happen in like were there conversations with the coaches saying, "Listen, I would, I think, you know," or does it like one day in training you're just kind of ignoring the the uh, orders and you're like, "I'm going to start playing number six and see if they notice that I'm not <laughs> doing what I'm told, but I'm really good at it." How does it work? Nah, it was it was definitely conversations with the coaches with the staff and. Um, they saw me at the time playing in that number six. Um, so long game, I just got thrown in there. I think it was against Seattle. And um, probably didn't have my best game in the first game playing there. I was, uh, it was it was quite scary because you're receiving the ball closer to your own goal. So if you mess up, then, you know, it can be on you. So I was quite, I was quite scared and not as confident. But as I played more games, I grew into it and grew into it and, um, with this team now, we still play a four-four-two box formation, so the possession goes through the sixes all the time. So I get a lot of the ball when I'm playing here. I'm the start of the build-up um, most of the time, as well as the centre back. So I do, I do get a lot on the ball, and I get to create and and break lines um, in doing that as well. So um, it's a, it's really nice. And then defensively as well, it's 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 a lot of work, but it's what I like to do. And so, um, while that's all happening, obviously your Ireland career is happening in parallel as well. Um, the the journey that the Ireland team has been on, where we're going to a nas- uh, an international tournament in the World Cup next year, you you came through an underage setup where qualifying for tournaments was actually something that happened a, a bit. Like, uh, and mm-hmm. so, you know, that's a good thing in that it conditions your expectations when you become a senior international. You're like, well, why wouldn't we be qualifying for tournaments? Every time I played for Ireland, we've tried to qualify and then we did qualify and then. We reached the final and uh, like we perform when we get there. So was it like that when you got into the senior team or did it take a little while for that kind of attitude to kind of become more manifest amongst you and your, the rest of your teammates? Yeah, it definitely took a while. And look, international uh, senior international football is completely different. The level is, it's ridiculous, you know, playing at that level and senior international, but the teams you come up against and even the qualifying process, it was it was unbelievable like to get through it was so difficult to be able to qualify and 
and to be able to do it and get to a World Cup was it's it's phenomenal. I'm still like in I'm still in disbelief that we actually made it, you know, to the World Cup. But um, yeah, it was it's always hard at senior international football. The qualifying process is really difficult to do um to get through. And and you see that the last few years, the teams that we get in our groups are like Sweden, Germany, um, and then second ranked teams as well. Very very difficult teams. So um, it is it's completely different to underage and um. Now that we're actually going to a World Cup is, I can't even put into words, I'm absolutely buzzing. <laughs> is there, so outside the camp, we look back on the friendly with Australia as this kind of very significant turning point. It's only a friendly, sure, whatever, but actually Australia, very highly ranked, uh, coming off a really great run and it's a, a topsy-turvy game where there's loads of goals scored. It's kind of a little bit out of character. It wasn't just a, a 1-0 Um Right. Was that was that the shot in the arm that the team needed in terms of confidence, or had you kind of felt like actually the progress was being made anyway? Yeah, I felt like the progress was being made anyway. And um, before that, I think this team has been has been growing the past two years, year and a half, two years, and um, to play against Australia at home and and get that result, it definitely did give us more confidence. We knew we could uh, do something special from there on for sure. Um, Australia being I think they're ranked 13th in the world. Um, very, very good team. One of the best players, one of the best strikers in the world they have in Sam Kerr. So um, we know we know what kind of team they are. They're they're very, very good. But and obviously playing them in the first game and their host nation, I'm sure they'll have a huge, huge crowd behind them. Um, will be difficult but it's 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 really exciting I can't wait it is kind of ironic that they were important on the staging post for this team to get the self-confidence to start expressing itself the way they have over the course of the competition and then lo and behold we're out uh, first in the first game of the World <laughs> Cup it's kind of class like you, you want the opening ceremony you want the opening game it's such it's like every game in the World Cup is going to be big right blah 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 but the first game exactly. and the final they're the two biggest games like we all know this Right. Yeah. When I when I saw the draw, I was like, Australia, that is phenomenal. I was buzzing when I seen that because they're the games you want to be part of. They're the occasions you want to be part of. Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be very, very, very exciting. Um, but obviously, it's a, it's a tough group. As you said, you get there's no easy games in the World Cup. So um, whoever we got, I would have been I would have been happy with because we're going and um, we're not just going there to compete. We're going there to, to do something special and. I think this team can can really do something special now. We're we're really growing and we've come together as a, a really good team. So um, yeah, this next summer is going to be exciting. Looking back on the qualifying campaign, are there any other turning points where you think actually that's really important for us as a group, as a team? Were there moments that you think back to and go, if that hadn't happened, it might not have galvanised us the way we were, or we might not have believed in ourselves the way we had to at the end. I mean, a lot of the results in the qualifying campaign, I think the Sweden game was absolutely huge. I think getting that point away from home was, I mean, if we didn't do that, I I, I think we may not be in this position today, you know. Um, but yeah, that was a turning point for us over there. I think we really came together as a team. Um, very, very tough game. Um, we were sitting on top of our own box for almost 90 minutes. And, and uh, they're the, the type of games that we can... You know, we we love to do that. Our our defense is absolutely phenomenal, and and they were excellent in that game. And we can we can sit deep, we can stay compact, and, and we can work very very hard. That's something that's a a really good quality that the team has. So, I think that Sweden game getting that point there was was absolutely huge for us. Uh, I I wonder how much you feel about the uh, transformation in in 
the level of excitement that the team generates amongst the public. Um, we had Emma Byrne on commentary first that night, and she was obviously down pitch side at the end, and Nathan was doing all the interviews. But so many people were coming over, and, and the conversation automatically leaned back towards Liberty Hall and the stand that her and her teammates had to take mm-hmm. uh, to transform women's football, the track seats being taken back off them, changing the airports, to the bit where it's the billboards and it's ads on TV and it's full coverage mm-hmm. of everything and um, and you're going to a World Cup it's like it's an incredible short pace, period of time between then and now I know it's it's looking back at it it's absolutely phenomenal and uh, going back to that day in Liberty Hall um, those girls the Emma Burns the Yvonne Tracy's Anya Gormans um, a lot more as well they really changed women's football for us they stood up for us that day and and um they're a huge part of the reason why we're going to a World Cup now. Um, but yeah, looking at it now, the, the amount of coverage we have, the excitement that after that Scotland game, the excitement around Ireland was, it was phenomenal. I've never got so many messages in my life um, coming into my phone from people that I actually had no idea that even liked women's football. Um, just seeing that, the yeah, it, it's really, it's, it's phenomenal. It's emotional, honestly, because the change is like, it's brilliant and it, it's really good to see and I think we'll have such huge support um, going to the World Cup uh, next year which is very exciting You obviously know football in Australia really well from your, your time down there um, like that's good that you've been down there and there's no mystery around it like you've played against these mm-hmm. it's really good that we did play them in that friendly and that we did beat them as well so it's not like oh it's Australia they're you know geez, they, they right. could easily spank us it's like well I mean you know maybe if things go really badly but we've just beaten them <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, we can take confidence from that. But look, I think how long ago was that game? No, I think they were missing quite a few players as well um, in that game, uh, starting 11 players. So I think they'll be a different team. I think they will be well prepared coming into this World Cup. They're playing a World Cup at home. They're going to be the most prepared they'll ever be in their life. So I think it will be a different game. I think it's going to be a lot more challenging than the game we played in Tallis Stadium. Um, but for us, we'll also be more prepared as well um, than that game that we played against Australia. So I think it's going to be a good battle and um, they are really an excellent team. So it's it's going to be tough, but it's a game that you want to be part of, you know. Uh, when the ball's at your feet, this, you realise now that you're etched forever in Irish football history because of the through ball for like the most important goal that's ever been scored in women's football history. So when the ball's at your feet, did you know the run was going to be so good from Amber Barrett? Were you like, this is, I've got one chance to hit this here, hit it? <laughs> I did. We actually kind of made eye contact, me and Amber, um, when that actually happened. Obviously, it was a very composed header from Nia Fahey, um, and I had a lot of space in the middle of the pitch, so I turned, and um, me and Amber kind of glanced at each other. I know it was from far away, but I knew exactly what she was going to do. Um, and I mean, what made the goal was her first touch. It was a fantastic run, but um, her first touch would, if she didn't have that first touch, I don't think we would have got, she would have scored that goal, so um, big credit to Amber for for a phenomenal first touch. She needs to do that more often. <laughs> and the toe poke into the corner is just a thing of beauty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a, it was a great finish. Um, that toe poke. She needed to do that. And honestly, the ball. When I was looking, I had my hands on my head. I was like, "Is this going to go in?" It took forever to go into the back of net. Honestly, but um, when it happened, it was it was absolutely unbelievable and. It was very fitting for her to score that goal on the night as well. I was very proud of her and really happy. Yeah, I don't. It was a tough, it was a tough day. I don't know if you've had a chance to see her interview on TV afterwards, but it's absolutely phenomenal. Like it, you know, it, it's also going down in the annals of of history as like one of the great 
post-match Irish sports interviews ever. Like for her to be able to uh, channel all that, explain mm-hmm. how the goal was scored, and still have time for a joke at the end uh, while perfectly capturing the somber mood uh, was just sensational. Yeah, it, it was phenomenal, and for her in a, such a big in such a big moment to score a goal that's potentially going to bring the team to the World Cup to then go over and be just really calm and um, you know dedicate that goal um, to the people who were lost in that tragedy it was absolutely it was phenomenal and yeah we were all we were all very proud of her because she she did have a tough few days and um, for us to see her do that was it was it was really good. Uh, this team is obviously in a cycle now where fingers crossed we do well at the World Cup and fingers crossed that improves our seeding for the next draw for the Euros and then you know hopefully it's this kind of nice rolling ball of momentum that the the team can get that's brilliant from uh, for football generally and for women's football from a personal level you know we've talked about your medium term future certainly in America is there a long term future in football for you do you want to be a coach is that something that you're interested in because like you know, it sounds like it's been your life up to this point and there are growing numbers of opportunities for high-profile people with uh, multitude experience backgrounds. You know what football's like in Australia, you know what it's like in America, you know what it's like in Ireland, you know what it's like in Scotland. Like, it's a brilliant mm-hmm. CV you've put together kind of almost accidentally in a way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely something I want to I want to stay in sports, for sure. Um, I'm in the process of doing my B licence, so we'll see. we'll see about coaching, but I have another huge interest in media as well um, working in media so um, hopefully in the next few years I can get the ball rolling on that and get some experience and, and see where it goes but I do definitely want to stay in the sport it's it's growing now uh, women's football is absolutely phenomenal um, so yeah it's something I would love to do Well listen enjoy the downtime however uh, downtime is I presume it's a lot of is it, is it kind of boring training when there's no matches? Um, no, I love in the off season. I love going. <laughs> I love going into the gym. Um, just to work on myself, things that I need to work on. I think the last part of the season there, it was game after game after game. I think we had eight, eight or nine games in three and a half weeks. So I couldn't really get myself in the gym. I couldn't really keep my strength up. Um, so now that I have no games, it's something I can really focus on. Uh, just keeping strong and keeping, you know, just injury prevention stuff. So. That's what I'm focusing on right now for the next the next uh, few months, which is it's really nice. I love doing it. Well, enjoy season. enjoy the Carolina sun and the the Cork winter whenever you you get back to that. And uh, I hope it's the best year of your life, Denise. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See ya. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo.